This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Are experts in agriculture, covering your equipment, parts, and service needs to help you succeed in your field. This is Summer Days on SNZ with Ricardo Ball. This is Summer Days with Ricardo Ball. It is four past ten on your Monday morning, the last week before Christmas. Uh, coming up, we're going to talk World Cup, of course. Noel Barclay, former All Whites, going to join us, and we will uh, talk about that World Cup and that World Cup final. Man, what a final it was as well. Argentina crowned champions after a penalty shootout. Uh, 10.30 today, Steve Mascord, uh, rugby league writer and author, uh, is going to join us. He's got a book coming out called Two Tribes. It's out uh, now, and it's about today in history. We do today in history uh, on the show a bit. Uh, well, today in history is actually 25 years since the formation of the modern NRL, and his book Two Tribes is all about that in the Super League Wars. So Steve Mascord's going to join us around 10.30. After 11, it is The Serve. We are talking tennis. Amrit Rye from Platform Sports Management is going to be in studio, and Kelly Evenden. Uh, former New Zealand tennis great and now captain of our Davis Cup team are going to be with us. Plus, uh, we'll have a, a chance for you to get in the draw to win uh, two tickets to a box, corporate box at the tennis uh, at the ASB Classic this summer, hosted by SENZ. Thanks to one NZ. Uh, Jordan Canelis, the voice of football here for SEN, he's called all the big games throughout the World Cup for us. He's going to join us. We're going to talk World Cup with him as well, but we'll also talk A-League and the ugly scenes in the Melbourne Derby, what the knock-on effect of that may be. Henry Shipley, he's a newly named Black Cap, a Canterbury all-rounder, a big tall bloke, nearly two metres tall, but can bat as well. He's going to join us. We'll have a chat to him about being in the Black Caps and uh, the tour of Pakistan and India that is ahead of him. And after one o'clock, Goldie, Jeff Wilson's going to be on. We're going to talk the year in rugby, get some reflections, get some predictions for 2023 as well. All of that and more coming up for you here on Summer Days on SENZ. But we can't forget the World Cup. What a World Cup it was. It's been a fantastic tournament, all the politics aside, and what a final it was. Possibly the greatest ever. 22 minutes elapsed and a chance now for Argentina to take a 1-0 lead. Messi staring fixated at the ball he strides up now slows and Lionel Messi has buried it it's a goal to Argentina 
And then Molina brings it back into midfield to DePaul. Over to Messi. Lovely touch to Alvarez. Now DePaul's kept on running. He's in behind the defence. Here you go, Argentina. They've gone to the left, and the shot comes in, and it's in from Angel Di Maria. Score here, and there is still time. It'll be Kylian Mbappe who will take this penalty. Currently, Lionel Messi leads the golden boot with six goals. Mbappe can level him again with a six goal here. Mbappe steps up, strikes it, and he has netted it. France get the goal. More comfortable against Croatia. Here they go again, France. And then, oh, what a wonderful finish from Kylian Mbappe. Now getting momentum back here, Argentina. Intricate piece of play, right side of the box. Shot comes in, right at Lloris. Off the goal line, did it go in? Has it gone in? It was clean off the line, and it is a goal. Argentina have scored. For his hat-trick, Kylian Mbappe, and to tie the final at three-all. Stands over it. A right-footed strike coming up. Mbappe creeps towards it, and he's buried it. Kylian Mbappe has a hat-trick, and Kylian Mbappe has tied the World Cup final at three-all in extra time. He scored two penalties in the 120 minutes of the game. Can he make it three from three from the spots? Kylian Mbappe, first up for France. Mbappe steps up, strikes it, and gets it. Martinez guessed the right way for Argentina, but Mbappe hit it with power and got it over the diving goalkeeper, and it's 1-0 for, uh, for France. Now it's Kingsley Coman to make it 2-1 to France. Coman's right foot comes up, saved by Martinez! Emiliano Martinez stops it! Aurelien Chouameni made to wait. He circles around the 18-yard box. Now he steadies himself. It'll be his right foot. Chouameni steps up, and he's hit it wide! He has hit it wide! Aurelien Chouameni has missed. He's dragged his shot to the left. Now one kick away from a World Cup. This is it. Gonzalo Montiel, the man who gave away the handball that drew France level at three all at the end of extra time. Gonzalo Montiel for Argentina. The world waits. Montiel steps up and he's put it in the back of the net and it's Argentina. Montiel has scored and Argentina have won the World Cup. A destiny has been fulfilled. The journey is complete. Argentina are World Cup champions. They've won on penalties. 4-2, 36 years since their last, and now their national badge can be decorated with a third star. 1978, 1986, and now 2022 Argentina, three-time world champions. Noel Barclay joins us, former All-White, to talk this World Cup and could have been so much different if the French had bothered to turn up for the first 70 minutes. Yeah, I still can't believe what I saw in that first first half. I mean, it was looking like it was going to be a pretty drab World Cup final. Um, and you know, who knows whether the illness that, that they had around the camp um, played a part. But um, tactically, Argentina got it right. I think playing um, Di Maria against Dembele was obviously was was uh, was a good call. Giroud didn't look up to it, and um, you know Deschamps had to make some early decisions. And um, because to be honest, they were they were pretty poor. 
Yeah, they were really poor. Um, but we didn't, I don't know how much of that was down to illness because, I mean, if that was the case, they would have fallen right away sort of towards the end of the game, but they actually came back into it. Um, so I, I don't know, I just think there was a lethargy there and we saw some of that, I thought, in the semi-final because against Morocco, I thought at times they looked leaderless, they looked directionless, they almost didn't know what they were supposed to be doing. Yeah, and I think, I think the game turned out a bit different to, you know, what we thought it might. I mean, in terms of, France being on the front foot, keeping possession, uh, Argentina def- being defensive and so on. Um, but I think the fact that they started De Maria almost sort of signaled a bit of an intent that they actually weren't going to do that because they've done that in previous games and then just relied on the little man to, to, to get them through. And um, they, it was quite, more, quite a bit more positive in that regard. But yeah, look, France were, were awful. Um, Mbappe, you know, it, wasn't, it was almost like he wasn't playing. Um, and then all of a sudden you get this genius in the 20-minute spell and, uh, you know, here we have a game going to extra time and penalties and so on. Look, it's just incredible. Um, it, was a, it was a very, very exciting game of football for for football fans and just for sports fans. And, um, you know, we, we know World Cup finals have a history of being pretty lethargic, and um, but this certainly wasn't one of those. And um, in, in the in the end, um, it wasn't just France versus um, Argentina. It was Messi versus Mbappe. Um, uh, and uh, fitting that they were the guys that picked up the, the um, Golden Ball, Golden Ball, Golden Boot Awards. And um, yeah, and they deserved it. Yeah, they did. They, and um, uh, Emiliano Martinez as well. Uh, you know, love him or hate him. Uh, he, certainly, he certainly got a few detractors. But man, what a goalkeeper. Um, the, pe- the saves he's made in those penalty shootouts and in normal time as well in this tournament. Well, that save at the end uh, um, from the French sub striker. Uh, I mean, that was go- that was game over, wasn't it? You know, a minute to go and an extra time, and uh, he got his foot out. Man, it wasn't didn't just hit him. He got his foot out to actually stop it. You know, so you know, he had a he, he he's a obviously star quality. I mean, he in the shootouts he saved him, um, and in the games he made some amazing saves. So uh, yeah, look. In the end, I don't think there'll be too many people, unless you're French, unhappy with a, a messy win. Um, you know, to do to, to come back from the dead uh, at 36 and be so influential in almost every game that he played in this World Cup, he, he was just outstanding. And uh, you know, he, he, I mean, there's Pelé and there's Maradona and, and there's Messi, and I don't know if he's one, two, and three, but it's they're definitely even three for me. Yeah, definitely the three. I, it's funny because we'll get to that conversation about the, the whole GOAT conversation because uh, I've got a few thoughts on that, Noel. But we should talk this game um, and the way that Argentina bossed it to start with. I mean, they probably really should have buried the French. They should have had more than two goals by 70 minutes. Yeah, and I, and I thought they had a bit of a shout for a penalty too throughout mm. that game. I, I mean, the, ref, the referee did great. I mean, I, one of my concerns, I, I haven't been impressed with the referee in this tournament at all. Um, and the, I was worried about the referee, and he, I mean, he got, he got, I think, pretty much most of the calls right. As he saw even Dean was uh, giving him a pat on the back uh, this morning as well. But uh, so he did well. But um, yeah, but, I mean, yeah, they could have been three at them certainly, um, and possession, and, and could have could have put the game beyond on reach. Um, but they, I, it's not Argentina, is it? They just don't keep. That's not how they play. They get two up, and then they sit back. They've done that. They've done it against the Dutch. Um, and uh, yet again, they they let um, and in fact, it's messy to give the ball away, of course, with the Mbappe's um, second goal. So yeah, unbelievable, just incredible, incredible spectacle, and uh, and probably a good way 
to finish this World Cup. Um, you know, it, it's not without its controversies, um, but um, you always say in sports that you always remember the final, and um, this will be remembered for a long time. Yeah, it will be. I mean, it, I was having this conversation with a mate of mine, and I've seen every World Cup final since 82, and I think 82, 86... And 2006 were all good World Cup finals and then they were exciting and uh, teams were playing football. The rest are all pretty boring and forgettable. Um, but is this the greatest World Cup final ever? Oh, 80, 82 for me would be would be the greatest. Um, I think the fact that France were so so poor, it's hard to sort of rate it as the best ever because, you know, I mean, they were just awful. Um, I mean, it's it just uncharacteristic and I, I don't know what's going on there. I mean, I think that's, as we know, that's probably the end of Deschamps. So there's no doubt that Zidane will replace him, I would think. Um, but yeah, it, it's a bit of a shame because he's, you know, he's done amazingly well with, with that group and he's won, he's won trophies. And uh, yeah, um, yeah, it, it's difficult to call it the best when France was so poor for so long. Not bad for a water carrier, though, is he, Deschamps? Yeah, and you know he gets a lot of stick in France, um, and he had some some challenges, really, didn't he, with with the injuries that he had and with key players, and sickness, and Varane getting hurt just early on before the turn-up looked like he was out, and of course he he, he had a, he was a, he was absolutely fabulous. Um, so yeah, he, it's um, he he will get some stick, but uh, I don't, it's not his fault today. I think the players let him down. Yeah, I, well, I think you know. I don't know what you thought, but I, I I watched both semi-finals, and off the semi off the back of the semi-finals, I went Argentina are going to win this final uh, because they just played with so much energy and so much purpose, and France just looked like you'd almost suggest that they looked like they couldn't be bothered. I know that's not the case, but that's kind of how it, how it felt. Yeah, I mean, I think the Argentina, you know, losing that first game early on. Obviously, did them a lot of good, um, and they regrouped from that. And I think they they were you could see you could see you know it, the way they sort of engaged with each other that they were a real team. France, and you know, and, and and it's been the case with French teams in the past that it is very individualistic. And of course, then it was again today, and right through this tournament, relying on Mbappe um, Giroud to sort of pull them out of holes at times. So I, I think the the t- togetherness and the unity that. Um, Argentina had were was the difference. They they looked like a team that all wanted to win. Subs, everybody, and um, France um, not the same. No, not the same at all. Uh, well, let, let's move on to the goat question then. I, I I think you know the the ongoing battle we've had for the last fifteen years, Messi or Ronaldo, Messi or Ronaldo, has well and truly been put to bed now, hasn't it? Um, reluctantly, yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, I think we saw Ronaldo in uh, this year right through, and um, and, and then longevity. It's not just about longevity, um, you know, because you know everybody players run energy at different ages. To, to be able to, to do what he did today, which he's consistently done now for you know, a couple of decades, uh, is absolutely incredible. Um, so yeah, he, he's a, he's number one. Um, absolutely, he's won everything. Ten times over, and um, yeah, it's just an enigma. Now, I, I believe he's talking about playing in in um, in uh, twenty six, which, to be honest, would be great. <laughs> I'd love to see him play again. Well, he'll be thirty nine, I think, by then. So that'll be. I suppose it's doable. Um, it just it's just how he manages himself from here. Some talk about him going to the MLS, but um, I, I was thinking about Maradona and Messi. 
And I was thinking, you know, because there had been, I thought, some parallels between 86 and this in terms of, you know, 86 was very much Maradona and Kinesia uh, and then a bunch of, you know, sort of journeyman type players. I know this Argentinian team's probably slightly better, but it has very much felt like, you know, uh, Messi and Alvarez and then and then the supporting cast. Yeah, look, it, it, it certainly has been like that. Um, and the supporting cast hasn't been too bad, of course. You know, I mean, they've, they've, you know, they had the workhorse there, people prepared to do the running um, so that Messi didn't have the track. And in the end, that gave him the energy to sort of make the difference. I think the problem with the Maradona versus Messi goat issue is that, um, you know, well documented that Maradona um, didn't do it for very long, um, you know, and he sort of came you know, he had some issues and came back into the game and so on. So he had a bit of a checkered career. Messi's been clean cut, really. He, there's never been any, never, never been any stories. There was talks, talks about tax and all that sort of stuff, but that's to do with agents and management teams and so on. He, he's just been an impeccable professional um, all the time. And even when he when he in defeat, you know, and it was tough for him when he lost uh, in in Brazil. Um, and but eight years later, he pops back and he, he wins the Golden Ball. I mean, it's just ridiculous. I mean, that's just phenomenal. Yeah, I, I mean, I look at it this way. I don't know that Messi could have done what he's done in the 80s when Maradona was playing and vice versa. I don't know that Maradona uh, could have been a professional given his lifestyle choices in the modern game. And so it's kind of, uh, you know, that uh, they're both in the right place in the right time, if you like. Yeah, and he knows all those all those um, hormones they were injecting Messi when he was seven, when he went to Barcelona, mm. <laughs> maybe that's given help this with his longevity. Um, but yeah, he, he's just he's been around so long, and he's at the top of the top of his game, and he is he is the goat. He is the goat. He is the goat indeed. Noel, thanks very much for coming on, mate. Always good to chat. Uh, enjoy the rest of your day. Maybe now you can get some uh, regular sleep patterns going. The World Cup's over. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, good stuff. Noel Barclay with us talking the FIFA World Cup. Uh, we are going to talk more about that and, of course, the A-League as well after midday with Jordan Canellis from SEN. Uh, we'll take a break now, uh, but make sure you get your texts in. Double eight, double three, the Temper Bedpost text machine. Your thoughts? Is that the greatest World Cup final ever? And is Messi the GOAT? Let us know what you think. Double eight, double three, the Temper Bedpost text machine. Temper and Bedpost range of mattresses and adjustable bases adapt to the exact shape of your body so you can put your head and feet up in comfort. It is 25 past 10 here on SENZ Summer Days, uh, brought to you by Brandt, your local John Deere equipment supplier. A couple of uh, messages come through. Fantastic drama. One of the great finals uh, has come through. That is from Adam. Uh, a few others uh, talking about Messi being the goat as well. You can have your say, double eight, double three, the temper bed post text machine. Uh, also Mark from uh, the Deep South has been up. He's given us a wave, Sam, and I think he's buying coffees. How good. Won't say no to that. Marky boy, good to have you up here in Auckland, fella. Yeah, indeed, yeah. Um, Great listener as well to the uh, to the show and the station. Yeah, I'll tell you what, that, that, won't, that won't hurt his chances of getting through for Stumped, will it? Absolutely not. <laughs> uh, straight to the top of the list for Mark. He can play every day. Yeah, indeed, indeed. Um, Sam, did you did you get up bright and early for the, for the World I Cup? I did wake Fine. up at 4am, um, yeah. yeah, in the bed. Oh, he's getting us the coffees. Yeah. He is, he's just pointing yeah, to us now, he's getting us the coffees. Yeah. Um, no, nah, yeah, woke up, uh, had it on on the phone in, in my bed, Ricardo, and yeah. um, I actually employed a bit of a different tactic for the uh, for the World Cup final with my TB account. Um, yeah. you know, I'd like to have a punt on finals, whether mm-hmm. it's you know NRL or, or World Cups. Whatever. So I put 20 bucks in, and I just spread it a bunch across a bunch of the like exotic 
200 to 1, 250 to 1 power plays. Yeah, how'd you go? Um, I was looking great at half time. Yeah. I just needed Argentina. And to be honest, I, I'm going to criticise them outside of my punting as well. <laughs> They I, they were totally dominating France for that first 60 minutes, Rick. And they took off Angel Di Maria. And I sort of understand why, right? Like, they're up 2-0. They want to bring on a who's a more defensive-minded left-back, etc. However, I would have thought you're, do- you're on top of them. You're dominating them. You don't sit back in that instance. If you're a – and we go back to the Saudi Arabia. If you're Saudi Arabia and you go one – goal or two goals up against an Argentina you sit back you park the bus because you have already done the miracle by scoring the two goals Argentina totally dominating them why would you take your foot off the off the throttle which is what they did and all their counter attacks all of a sudden it was just messy on his own yeah up the top and it was like they had a chance to score two or three more if it happens once you kind of go you can understand it but it happened against the Dutch Correct. Same thing. So it's like they, totally. didn't, they didn't learn that lesson. No. And France, even you know, all the commentators were saying it. Everyone on Twitter was saying that. Like France, just I don't even think they had a shot on goal in the first half. No, it wasn't. It was a decent. I think chance. I saw the stat at sixty-six minutes. Yeah. And they had they at that point they hadn't had a shot on goal. Yeah. And I think at that point they hadn't had a touch in the, inside in the, the, the opposition. Oh, in the, in the uh, eighteen yard box. Eighteen yard box, which is crazy. Mental. They were totally on top of them. So why why wouldn't have you pushed a bit harder to get that third or fourth goal? And and you know as well as anyone, Rick. That third goal is the nail in the coffin. Yeah, two totally. go- and they say two, and it's a cliche to say that two goals is the worst lead in football. But a third goal is a nail in the coffin. And Noel was actually right. He brought this up, and I thought it at the time, and it didn't really look like they went to VAR on it. But there was a breakaway, and McAllister, Alexis yep. McAllister, plays for Brighton, pushed he, in the back. Was he, the one got, he got shouldered yeah. in the back? Yep. I mean. That, for me, was a penalty. That was more of a penalty than the one they got given. Probably, yeah. Um, but the problem, I think, from the referee's point of view, in ter- ter- talking about the biggest game in the world stage for four years, if he gives that penalty, he has to send the defender off. True. Because he's not making a play at the ball. True. Um, so I reckon that's the entire reason that didn't get given. It's interesting. The ref was very quick. On, hardly played advantage. was very quick on the whistle throughout the game. But yeah. So I guess going back to because someone said to me, oh well, it didn't matter in the end. Well, I tell you what, a shootout is really fifty-fifty. Rick, I mean, Argentina obviously did very well in it, but look, we could have been sitting here, France's champions, and Argentina would have been ruining not putting the foot down in that second half. 100%. So, look, I, why am I annoyed? Because I lost a bunch of bets on it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, I, to be honest, I had a bet on. I had Argentina to win two-one. Right, and yep. obviously that didn't happen because no. I mean, for one moment I was happy, and then ninety seconds later I was devastated. Yep. Um, but at full time in the ninety minutes, I, I looked Argentina to win on pens was three ten. Wow! So I chucked fifty on that, and nice. Oh, thanks. For that would have got you. Well, some people did go early on the pens, like someone I think it was at elevens this week yep. to win on pens. But um, the one that I lost out big on, which was looking good for most of the game, was Argentina to win both halves. So I thought if they just score a goal in the second half, they're yep. away, way laughing. Um, Argentina most corners, and I think they were well ahead on on the corner count. Um, Messi to score and two cards in the game, and it was paying like two hundred bucks or something. Yeah, and I put I think I put two bucks on it, one or two bucks on it. So I just needed them to yep. score a goal or two in that second half, and, and it would have been fine. You would have, yeah. But um. What a final, though. I mean, honestly, as a neutral fan with no investment in either France or Argentina, that yes. was just phenomenal. And and I think you and Noel hit the nail on the hit the nail on the head. Finals are so often quite you know lethargic, and teams will sit back, and it's just teams just don't want to lose. Yeah, you know, hundred percent. But these these both of them were were pretty much hammer and tongs 
you know, from about 60 minutes onwards, they were just all gung-ho trying to win it. Yeah. Which was yeah, great. Which was fantastic. Uh, yeah. Actually, here's a great punting story, just a brief one Go for on. you. You know Shano in the office who yes. looks after racing now? Yep. So he he got his missus to open a TAB account with the Christmas. Oh, I think I've right? heard about this. Yeah, yeah, and so she got the free ten dollar bet on the on the World Cup. Yeah. at the semis, mm-hmm. and uh, she she put it on. Uh, you talk about your, your your long shot bets. She put it on both semifinals: Argentina to score both halves and win, France to score both halves and win. Oh. Was paying twenty six to one. She put a te- her free ten dollar bonus bet on that. Money for jam. Two hundred and fifty bucks later. Thanks very much. We'll take it. Yeah. Well yeah. done. Well done, her. Well done, her. I'll have to tell you. Maybe uh, I'll have to tell you a bit later on the show. I have to tell you about my horrible. Actually, it was. It's a. It's a redemption story, Ricardo. Yeah. Really, it's okay. a. It's an underdog comeback story. Arguably a better comeback than France in the second <laughs> half of that game. I'll have to tell you about later on where I lost a lot of money on Portugal, but stormed back. Okay. Uh, last weekend, so there's a little tease for you. Yeah, stay tuned to hear about the biggest comeback since Lazarus. <laughs> um, with Sammy Hewitt, we're going to get to news and sport now, and after that, we're going to talk NRL. It is 25 years today that the modern NRL was founded. Steve Mascord is going to join us after the news. It is 26 away from 11 here on SENZ. Summer days with Ricardo Ball and, uh, well, another one biting the dust. There were two that bit the dust. Super League bit the dust and the old New South Wales Rugby League competition bit the dust 25 years ago today and the modern NRL was born. And to talk about that and his new book, Two Tribes, on it is Steve Mascord. G'day, Steve. How are you? Ricardo, how are you, mate? How are you? I'm good, thanks, mate. I'm good. How's Sydney treating you? Yeah, good. I've been back uh, now for a week and a half, almost. Well, actually, it'll be two weeks tomorrow. So, uh, yeah, the weather's... Um, people here are whining about the weather and then apologising that it's not that nice, but compared to back in London, it's, uh, it's paradise, mate. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm heading off to Queensland for Christmas uh, tomorrow and um, doing a little book launch in Newcastle and a few members of the 1997 Newcastle team uh, look like they're going to be there. So I'm, I'm looking forward to that. Oh, that'd be fantastic, mate. Sounds like you've got a great uh, a great next week or so uh, lined up, uh, Steve. We should talk about uh, Two Tribes, though. I mean, the book's available now and uh, everywhere. Uh, it is the story about the, the basically the end of the Super League War, isn't it, and, and the birth of the modern NRL. What gave you the idea to write this? Well, actually, um, I was actually at the very first ever Toronto Wolfpack uh, game and uh, the CEO of the uh, Rugby Football League in England said that someone should do a sequel to Mike Coleman's um, Super League, The Inside Story. Um, and funnily enough, in the time it took to write the book, the Toronto Wolfpack have lived and died, and it probably says a lot about Rugby League and about, about sort of, uh, you know, the, the, the game sometimes, well, often going in circles. Uh, and, and, you know, we, we had in 1995 when the Super League war broke out, we had... Um, not just the Warriors, we had teams you know, in, in Perth and we had two teams in Brisbane. Um, and we had a team in Adelaide the following year and um, we're only just going back to Brisbane with a second team, aren't we, in, in March. So, um, you know, the game, the game tends to uh, take uh, two steps forward and, and another step back, or, you know, and, and I think in working 
that was born out in in the process of, of working on on this book. Who do you think um, the biggest losers were out of that? I mean, I look at it from the surface and I think, well, probably the Illawarra Steelers, potentially the Balmain Tigers, uh, maybe the North Sydney Bears, South Sydney for a short period of time. Uh, Would that be your call or do you think it's deeper than that? Yeah, I think the listeners might wonder why they haven't heard more or read more about the fact that the NRL turns 25 today. And that's because I don't think the NRL wants to, or I'm sure the NRL doesn't want to remind people of the painful process. You know, it was supposed to be uh, 20 teams um, in, in, in uh, 1998 and then go down, you know, to, to 16 and, and 14. Um, and, and that process is very painful. And I think everyone, just about everyone, um, aside from maybe Roosters supporters, uh, now accept that um, excluding South Sydney wasn't a great idea. So I don't, I don't think the 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 administration of the NRL um, really want to remind people that it was formed um, today, uh, 25 years ago, when the ARL clubs uh, went to the Sydney Football Stadium along with um, the various uh, committees of the of the New South Wales and, and uh, Australian Rugby Leagues, and they voted 36-4 in favour of doing business with News and forming a joint venture. Um, because of that, all what you just discussed, I think the NRL would rather everyone just look back to 1908 and say it's been a um, it's been it's been a, a straight line to, to 1908. But obviously that's not the case because from today, uh, 25 years ago, the the competition was half owned by a media conglomerate, um, and that continued until we we had the the commission which was formed in in, in 2012. What about you know? You mentioned a couple of teams in there. Uh, the you know the Adelaide Rams, the Perth Reds, uh, the South Queensland Crushers, all bit the dust. Um, uh, they were they were all teams that had, that had sprung up, but uh, are no longer with us. How far away do you think the Warriors were from from being in that same camp? Because I look at that, and you know, it's it's hard to. Uh, from a from if you put yourself in Australian shoes to see keeping a New Zealand team is a good idea when you're getting rid of teams like Perth, like Adelaide, like another Brisbane team. Mate, very very close. In fact, a lot of the blueprints drawn up from the ARL side during the conversations that led to the meeting today, 25 years ago, did exclude the Warriors. And there were columnists uh, in you know in uh, I think now I hope I'm not doing him a disservice here. I apologise if I am, but I'm pretty sure that there was a column. Uh, by Brad Fittler mid-year 1997, uh, where he said that he was not not a fan of the Warriors and that, and that if, the, if they got back together, they should be they they shouldn't be included. And uh, I think it was um, news. Um, basically, Ian Frickberg, who, who the late Ian Frickberg, uh, who was the head of sport at Newsland at the time, and his um, expertise was negotiating TV deals. That's that was his main job, not running sport, uh, running you know, administration of sport. Uh, and he he could see the value of the Warriors, and he and he really fought for them in the negotiations with the ARL. And everyone now um, accepts that um, that was a masterstroke, um, probably one of the best things he did uh, because of the amount of income that the the Warriors have generated in TV rights since. The the, the the place where this came from, you know, you had News Corp who was who was Super League and the ARL who were New South Wales Rugby, the New South Wales Rugby League comp. Um, you know, basically, I mean, the people who did the uh, negotiations on behalf of the ARL and, and New South Wales Rugby League did a fantastic job in hindsight, didn't they? Because they had no money. In fact, they managed to no, get, that- they managed to get News Limited to pay for their legal fees at the end. But I don't know how they've managed this. 
Yeah, well, they, I think, mate, and this is the key thing, and this is what's so uh, important about tomorrow night going back to Newcastle, is that uh, while all these um, wranglings were going on at a corporate and administrative level, um, the public had lost interest in the sport um, completely, you know, and the only place where they still cared was Newcastle. Um, and, and Newcastle won the competition in very dramatic circumstances. Uh, and that, and so what the ARL took to the table was the public. Um, you know, so news took money to the table, but uh, the ARL took, took the public to the table and that gave them a lot more leverage than they would otherwise have been entitled to. And, and really that was the most important um, um, grand final of, of all time uh, because of, of that, because... You know, if Manly had won, you know, it wouldn't have quite uh, been the same. It wouldn't have had that sort of grassroots resonance that that Newcastle uh, winning their first uh, competition carried. And so um, you're right. Um, um, you know, Neil Whitaker did a fantastic job, uh, but they had they they had the better competition in 1997 and was won by in tumultuous circumstances by these sort of um, you know eternal underdogs. Uh, and that really carried the day at the negotiating table. What about the way that the uh, the conglomeration ended up happening? You know, and, and we had the, uh, the the two parties come together because it did feel like, initially at least, the first couple of years that the Super League clubs probably. Uh, shaded it. I mean, they weren't the ones that were you know basically forced to uh, merge. They weren't the ones that. I guess were you know sort of put in difficult positions. The Super League clubs seemed to get a bit of a free run. Yeah, well, they the, basically they had the Super League clubs did have um, their funding guaranteed. Um, so, um, but you know Neil Whitaker and a lot of people in the view insist that there there was pressure on the Sydney Super League clubs to to merge, uh, but they resisted they they resisted that pressure and they were able to do it because they had the funding. So it was a funny one where. Um, on one hand, Super League clubs in Sydney who had jumped um, uh, on, on, on board with Super League were, were in the fullness of time rewarded for doing that because they survived. To this day, they stand alone, uh, you know, um, um, Canterbury and, and Penrith and, and Cronulla. But on the other hand, the, the, the teams from outside Sydney who jumped on with Super League, uh, they were the sacrificial Lambs, uh, you know the the Reds and the Rams, and obviously, you know the Mariners. Um, the mm. you know the Cowboys obviously survived. The Broncos were the Broncos were never going to get uh, punted. So, on one, I guess if you were the, the Sydney teams who jumped in with Super League were rewarded for doing so, but um, the, the teams outside um, uh, Sydney, in a way, the ARL was allowed to do with them as they wish, and they 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 punted them. So. Um, there, there was a bit, a bit of a, a bit of a contrast there. How close were were Manly to being the North Sydney Bears? Was that a conversation ever? Well, the, the, obviously the, we did have the Northern Eagles uh, for, for 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 a couple of years. Um, so uh, um, and and basically, and, and North Sydney tried to take over that merger, and Ken Arthurson came out of retirement to uh, remind um, the, uh, everyone that that the license is actually held by Manly. So. The, the North Sydney Bears, you know, uh, you know, basically, uh, you know, faced oblivion because they staged a rebellion within that joint venture. Uh, but um, as far as um, Manly becoming North Sydney, no, that that wasn't the case. But North Sydney had a lot of uh, financial troubles um, after the the Super League War. Um, they had a lot of ARL players uh, um, who were on ARL contracts and they weren't contributing much to those contracts at all. 
So when the war ended, they 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 found themselves in in, in a very difficult financial position, and they they had to go into that uh, joint venture with. Uh, and now we're hearing about they might be back as Perth. Or they mm. might we've been hearing about it for 25 years, haven't we? Uh, but uh, you know, there hasn't been much evidence of it actually happening. The Southern Bears out of Christchurch, according to Tony Kemp, that's his that's his bag. He reckons the Crusaders are going to buy them, but we'll see. We'll see on that, Steve. Hey, mate, thanks for coming on. Thanks That'd for having fantastic. a chat. Um, it's it's always good to catch up with you. We should uh, we should do it again soon. Uh, good luck with the book launch. Uh, good luck up in Newcastle. Have a great Christmas, and uh, uh, I look forward to uh, reading fully uh, Two Tribes when I get my hands on it. Mate, I'm going to the first Dolphins game in March before I return home, and I'd be happy to come out for the first Southern Bears game as well. <laughs> I'll lock you in. I'll let you. I'll, I'll, I'll let Kempy know, <laughs> mate. He'll make sure that you got a ticket on the gate. Good stuff, Steve. Go well. Go on, you mate. Have a good day. Yeah, Bye. you too. Steve Maskell there, uh, rugby league journalist and author, and the author of Two Tribes, that book out today about the Super League war coming to an end and the birth of the modern NRL 25 years ago today. When we come back, we we'll catch up with Paul Mawadi from the TAB. Help you succeed in your field. You're listening to Summer Days with Ricardo Ball on SENZ. And time to talk TAB now. You can bet live on your favourite sports. Download the TAB app today. Paul Mawadi joins us. G'day, Paulie. How are you? I'm good. Thanks, you, uh, thanks Ricardo. Well, yeah. well, what mate, a final. What a final. What a final, mate. Uh, have you got Have you got a, a, a hard luck story for us? Uh, or maybe a good news story for us from the punting, uh, punting land? Oh, no. Look, there were plenty, there's plenty of action uh, took place on the final. I'm just looking at the... Um, head-to-head book here. We had a punter who put $10,000 on the draw at $3.10. Um, so he's very, very happy with himself. Um, I'm just having a look a wee bit further down the page at the two-list, the cup book. Um, there was a $12,000 bet on Argentina to lift the cup at $1.87. It was a $7,000 and $6,000 bet at the same price as well. So a number of the larger punters certainly had a good old go on the, on the World Cup final, um, and a number of them did get rewarded as well. That's what we want to see, mate. That's what we want to see. So a good cup overall for the tab, do you think? Yeah, it was. Um, I think it was a cup that had pr- pretty much everything. Um, there were upsets along the way with, uh, what was it, uh, European powerhouses, Germany and, and Spain, uh, not making it very far. Uh, Brazil get knocked out by Croatia. Uh, and then we had the great final where two superstars stood up, Mbappé and Messi. Um, and both teams uh, gave it everything they had. Uh, went to extra time and then to penalties. Um, it was, yeah, it, it was a very, very... It was a World Cup that had everything. Yeah, it was. I don't, I don't think you can argue that, mate. Um, so what's the big focus for the TAB now? Uh, what do what you guys got your eyes on heading into Christmas? Uh, well, right now I'm just uh, checking out the darts where Scott Williams is taking on Ryan Joyce, uh, and it is darts of the highest quality. They are uh, they are seeing the dartboard like a beach ball at the moment. Scott Williams is two sets up, uh, two sets to one up over Ryan Joyce, a dollar forty on Scott Williams at the moment. Ryan Joyce two eighty five. So that'll be going right through uh, the world Ch- uh, world darts championship. Also got the NBA with plenty of matches. You know, they really start ramping it up over Christmas. Um, and there's a number of games on today. We've had money on 
the Golden State Warriors, even though they are outsiders against the Toronto Raptors, the Warriors two ninety, Raptors a dollar thirty nine, taking money on the Warriors at two ninety, and also on the Warriors getting a dollar uh, plus six and a half at a dollar ninety two, and of course the NFL. Uh, is well underway. The afternoon or the late uh, games have just started. Uh, what have we got? We've got the Raiders up against the Patriots. It's three all there into the second quarter. Dollar ninety-five the Patriots. Dollar seventy the Raiders. And there's the late game on today, uh, due to start at around twenty past two. The Commanders up against the Giants. Washington a dollar forty-five. The Giants at two dollars and sixty cents. Uh, money for Washington uh, at a dollar forty-five, and also. Minus four and a half at uh, the handicap at a dollar ninety. So there's plenty going on. And of course, uh, we've got the Boxing Day races coming up in uh, what is it a week's time. Good stuff, Paulie. We'll catch up with you again, mate. Uh, have a good have a good day, and we'll uh, talk to you during the week, eh? Thank you, Ricardo. I hope it was a uh, successful World Cup for you as well, punting wise. It is uh, coming up to 11 o'clock here on SENZ. This is your Summer Days show with Ricardo Ball. We are about to become uh, the serve for a little while because the serve is our tennis show thanks to 1NZ. And coming up on the serve is uh, former New Zealand uh, tennis great Kelly Evenden. He is now our Davis Cup captain. We're going to talk to him out of Seattle. And in studio, our guest is going to be Amrit Ryan from Platform Sports Management as well. He is finding pathways for a lot of our young tennis players. We'll talk to him after the latest in news and sport. Uh, don't forget, promotions in play and hundreds of sports markets to choose from. Visit tab.co.nz. Please gamble responsibly. R18. Thanks to Paulie Mawadi for being part of the show earlier. One NZ has one awesome summer lined up for you. This is The Serve with Ricardo Ball on SENZ. It is three past 11 on the serve. Thanks to 1NZ, you can watch the ASB Classic from a corporate box with hosts Izzy and Daisy Dag. Thanks to 1NZ, just text TENNIS to double eight double three to be in to win. Coming up on the serve today, Kelly Evenden, former New Zealand great, uh, now the Davis Cup captain, is going to join us out of Seattle a little later on, where your chance to play You Cannot Be Serious as well and get into that corporate box. And we've got a bit of tennis news for you as well, but we have a guest in studio, and that is... Is Amrit Rai from Platform Sports Management. Amrit, g'day mate, thanks for coming into the studio, how you doing? Yeah, good man, no, thank you so much for having me, look forward to chatting with you today. Yeah man, I mean, tell us a little bit uh, about Platform Sports Management and what it is you actually do. Yeah, so what we do is we help student athletes secure sports scholarships within the American college system. I started this company back when I was 22 years old, grew up in tennis but there wasn't really many opportunities for student athletes back then. I'm talking like 2010, so I was a while back. Yeah. And uh, in order to get a scholarship to the States, it was pretty much college coaches coming to the athlete as opposed to athletes trying to find scholarships on their own. So a group of us missed out on these opportunities in the US. And yeah, when I was 22 years old, I saw a lot of the boys that I used to play tennis against back in the day, guys like Cameron Norrie, et cetera. 
in the US having great experiences and I thought well why don't I make something that can support athletes through this process and so I've been doing it now for the last seven years we've had 260 athletes currently competing in America which is great across a number of different sports but yeah tennis is our bread and butter that's yeah. for sure yeah cool I was going to ask you about the you know the, the variety of sports because I mean we have seen yeah, I mean, uh, one of New Zealand's favourite football sons, Ryan Nelson, came through the US college yeah, system, right. right? You know, and that, that's kind of how he, he went about it. We have a lot of our footballers doing that. Uh, we have a few basketballers doing that, in the, particularly in the women's game as well. Uh, so the split of your athletes, what was it, 260? How, how many are tennis? How many are other things? Oh, actually, our largest sport that we work with is definitely soccer. And sorry for the Kiwi fans for me not saying football, but <laughs> I'm just used to the American <laughs> lingo now, right? So if I say football, they'll be over there in shoulder pads. But, um, <laughs> but look, soccer is definitely our largest sport more people play it but we've placed tennis players from 13 different countries from around the world and what's really amazing about the college system is that back when I was a teenager I thought that you had to be the best of the best like a Cameron Norrie who was like top 20 in the world for juniors in order to get a scholarship in the states but what I've found is that's not actually true uh, there's so many levels within the college system I mean we placed a golfer in America on a golf scholarship and he's only been playing the sport for three years we've got a soccer player that's in the second 11 high school uh, team and he was coming off the bench and he's in the states now playing and so it, uh, hopefully you know me saying that gives a lot of athletes out there their you know, um, hope that they can go to the States and have a wonderful experience in the US for four years. Yeah, well, that's the thing. I mean, the, the scholarship system, uh, the way it works, particularly with sports, I mean, I think it works really well on both fronts because you, you don't get the free ride unless your grades are there, right? So you still got to do the, the mahi on that side? Yeah, I mean, there's a reason why they call it student-athlete, not athlete-student. Mm. Uh, you have to become a good student in order to go to the States. But, I mean, look, there's, there's a number of systems put in place. Even if there's an athlete that might not have the best sporting resume um, and might have average grades, they still can go to the States on a cost-effective strategy. There's the junior college system there for a reason. And the junior college system is a two-year community college system, and then one once you complete your two years, you get your associate's degree and then you cross-credit everything over to a four-year school and do your final two years and still graduate with a bachelor's degree. I mean, a guy that's a good friend of ours, his name's Sefer, he's a Division One water polo coach. He graduated from Cal Berkeley, but he started at a junior college. So there's a number of opportunities out there for athletes. And what we do is we try to find the right fit for those athletes when they're looking to go to the States as well. How many? I mean, we, we, we've, we, this show is really about the ASPE Classic, the Aussie Open. You know, that's sure. kind of what, what our focus is. But we know that there's a play-in tournament this time around for the ASPE Classic, yep. right, to get that wild card rather than just randomly giving the wild card yeah. to, to maybe our best-performing player of the last six months or whatever. So it's rewarding people who are on form at the right time, peaking at the right time. How many of those guys that are going to be in that play-in tournament have gone through the US college system, or are there any that – are still looking for that opportunity. Well, look, KP Panu. I mean, KP Panu, we saw him on TV One News the other night, which mm. was great to see him. And I've known KP since he was like 10 years old. He's a, he's a great young man. And he went to the States and he went to a Division two school called Columbus State, finished the number one in college and has had one hell of a pro career since he graduated university. And, um, you know, I believe he'll be in that playing tournament. He would have a great opportunity there, which is cool. And it's also good to see, like, a lot of the younger kids coming through that have got Division One scholarships lined up that are going to be, you know, snipping at the heels. You've got Jack Lautitz as well that recently last week in the pro tournament in Wellington, I think he got through to the third round. He was working with us. He's now going to University of Kentucky um, in August, I should say, this year, but it's not. we're not quite there yet, <laughs> but in August very soon. 
And so it's a great opportunity for that. And isn't it fantastic just to see so many quality players in New Zealand? Yeah. Well, I mean, how does um, playing in a, a tournament like the one you talked about in Wellington, uh, which is at an ITF level tournament? Yes, that's yeah. right. It's yeah. a Futures 15K yeah. uh, pro tournament. So yeah. if you play in that, can you still be eligible for scholarships? Because I know there's... Um, rules around being pro and, and, and not being able to be pro to get a scholarship? Well, look, the the landscape in America is changing. They've got this name, image and likeness rule. So they've passed laws now saying that athletes can get paid basically name, image and likeness, which is definitely changing it up. And if you if you heard of Uninterrupted, it's this platform that LeBron James started and his company. And they got the mayor of like California or the governor of California involved in it. And they said, look, the reason why I didn't go to the States was because I had to put food on the table for my mum. Yeah. And I couldn't do that in college. Well, now the NCAA are working with with people in that in that area that bring a lot of people to come to these large sporting events in the college scene, and they're rewarding them financially as well, which is great. Now, tennis has there's always been a rule that you can earn up to ten thousand dollars in prize money as long as you declare it and still be eligible. So that's great. And there's a lot of tennis players that were playing in that um, that. ITF tournament, that pro tournament in Wellington recently, that are from college. You've got James Watt, who was the runners-up of the tournament. He's at a Division One school in California. You had George Stoop, that's currently at LSU right now, having a great career there. So it's awesome to see a lot of people going to college. And I was actually talking to John Isner about this. My brother was a young fella, just a hitting partner back then. Mm-hmm. And it was at the ASB Classic. I think it might have been in 20, either 18 or 19. And, I mean, John Isner went to University of Georgia. He's got a degree, and he's having a great uh, professional career as well. He so. goes all right, doesn't he? Yeah, not bad. Not got, bad. A, got a decent suit. <laughs> oh, okay. uh, so how many um, young Kiwis are currently in the college system in America? Oh, I couldn't tell you the number, man, but what I can tell you is, because obviously with other recruitment agencies out there placing a lot of athletes, but... I can tell you that the U.S. consulate is always packed with the visa appointments. Uh, <laughs> a, every time my athletes go and get their F1 student visa in Auckland at the consulate here, uh, they always say there's about 50 to 60 other athletes sitting up, lined out the door, waiting to get their visas as well. So it's growing. And I mean, a lot of the associations are starting to work with the college system before a lot of sports associations, I don't think, were too keen on their athletes leaving New Zealand to go to the States. But now we're finding that a lot of these sporting associations are getting on board because the resources in America are great. And, you know, why swim upstream? Yeah, well, 100%. I mean, you know, for most part, like, for example, say New Z- Tennis New Zealand, we can't offer to these uh, young players up and coming the same exposure to top talent, uh, you know, to top opponents on a regular basis that they can if they get in the US, right? Well, I mean, if you just look at the last, uh, you know, Davis Cup team, you had Isaac Beecroft, college athlete, KP Panu, college athlete. You've had, um, you know, Finn Reynolds, Ole Miss, and he was one of the top doubles players in the country. Mike Venus went to college in the States. Yeah. I think it's a great system. I think that the, the scariest thing about an athlete is an injury, and I believe that that can end someone's career. And if you've got a backup plan, if, you're pro, if your pro career and your sport doesn't go to plan and you've got a degree in your back pocket that hasn't cost you much, less than what you'd be paying here in New Zealand, that's a great thing. Yeah, there's uh, the, the, not too many downsides. Uh, how many tennis players have you placed? We have placed 85 tennis athletes to date from all sorts of levels. And, yeah, it's, it's been great because we've had athletes from Fiji, Samoa, Tahiti, uh, or gone to the US and had a great experience. I think that 
the most memorable placement we had was a girl called Ayana. We had a, a contract with a guy called Darren Wrighton, who was the Oceania ITF manager, and they had a training facility in Latoka, Fiji. And we placed Ayana into college, and she called me uh, two years ago in tears and as a recruiter, when an athlete cries and you hear tears, you panic. There's something's <laughs> gone wrong. Yeah. And it was tears of joy. And she said that she didn't just top um, her engineering school in her senior year. She topped the entire senior class and got a Forbes Fortune 500 job. And wow. Yeah, just wanted to thank us. And for me, that was just that was the highlight for me. So it's been great working in the tennis recruitment, especially since my dad, Rakesh, is a great tennis coach and I grew up in the sport. Yep. Um, but yeah, I just love working as a sportman in general and helping keen tennis players going over there. Well, speaking of family, you got a brother who, who, who goes all right. Um, yeah, he's not bad. He's all right. I do have a 4 1 record over him, though. I just oh, want to make just, that clear. Yeah, yeah. Let's get that out there. Um, <laughs> how did you feel personally when they announced that instead of giving our top tennis player, which would have been Ajit, the, the wild card, they're going to have the play in tournament? Were you torn on that? Not really. I mean, look, at the end of the day, um, things were done in the past in a particular way. They gave, I guess, wildcards to their best players, and uh, now they want to change the format, and we'll just have to wait and see how that how that unfolds, really. Yeah. Well, I mean, we've got these ITF tournaments. You talked about Wellington. I believe there's one is, is there one in Tauranga as well? Yeah, I was actually yeah. just on the phone to Ajit this morning. He's arrived in, in Papamoa last night, mm. and uh, he was FaceTiming me on the beach. Looks like quite a nice setup, eh? Mates, it's his worst part. I've got a couple of mates that live down there. Uh, <laughs> honestly, one of them has never, had, I don't think he'd ever seen a surfboard before he moved there, and now he lives on <laughs> one pretty much. But yeah, uh, so we've got, we've had Wellington, we've got uh, the Tauranga ITF tournament. Yep. Now we have this playing tournament for the ASB. From, from an outside point of view, someone who's not involved in tennis, I like it because it, it feels like we get some continuity in terms of our local players having opportunities to play in a bunch of really high-caliber high tournaments back-to-back-to-back. To back to back. Yeah. Um, what, what's your take? Yeah, I mean, look, uh, I don't know the tournament director for the ASB Classic, so obviously it's a new tournament director with Carl Budge leaving, mm. and they're bringing in a new approach to it, and it'll be great to see how it unfolds. But look, uh, Ajit, all Ajit's doing right now is just working hard and just staying ready. So we've just got to wait and see how he does. Um, he had a great week in Wellington, which was cool. And, uh, I mean, Ajit spent a lot of time in Wellington. I lived there for eight years. My sister lived there, Ashna, for eight years as well. So my sister was down there supporting him. So just see how he carries his momentum into this week. And, it's, I mean, it's in the hands of purely the tournament director and obviously TNZ, so we just got to wait and see. In terms of the ASB Classic, how important is that for young players in New Zealand tennis? I mean, it's a great opportunity, I guess, for a lot of athletes. You don't really get to play in these large sporting events that often. So, you know, when you get an opportunity to play in a large sporting event in your home country, it is pretty special. Mm. Yeah, yeah, very special. And the way that it piggybacks onto the Aussie Open, I mean, yeah. are there any players that you would say, hey, keep an eye out for this name? They might even be playing boys rather than being playing men's or, or girls instead of playing women's that might play in those playing tournaments that you have in the, uh, for the Australian Open? Are you talking in regards to New Zealanders? Yeah, to, okay. to Kiwis, yeah. Yeah, I mean, look, there's, there's some boys out there that are having some great runs. I mean, look at James Watt. He's a, he's a college athlete in California. Um, got given, um, I think he got given a wild card into qualifying. I don't actually think, he, I don't know if he had an ATP point. Don't quote me on that. But um, he had a great run in qualifying, went straight through to the final. And even the match against Ajit that he played was so close. 
And so there's boys like that where they're taking use of the opportunity, which is great. You've got Jack Lautit, who has got a top 50 ITF ranking currently in the juniors in the world. Mm. And um, and he's doing absolutely fantastic. I mean, it's no wonder that you know he, he verbally committed with University of Kentucky in his year 12 year in high school. You wow. Know, yeah, a year and a half away. <laughs> yeah. He barely committed, which is great. And so, I mean, those boys, they step up in big moments, which is fantastic. Obviously, Hope and Ajit has a great time as well. But this is just a, this is just a quality tournament. Like you said, it is a lead into the Australian Open. There are going to be a number of top professionals uh, that will be in that tournament as well. And mm-hmm. I think that I can speak for all KB boys. They all swim well on the deep end, don't they? Yep, they tend to. They tend to go all right, eh? You yeah. chuck them in there and they go, they go okay. Um, I mean, Ruben had a great result against Chung back in the day, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. I mean, there have been so many of those stories. And even uh, I was talking to somebody the other day uh, about this. Oh, it was David Long, the j- journalist from Stuff.co.nz. Yep. And I asked him his favourite ASB classic memory, and he said it was Marina Arakovic that winning that quarterfinal. You yeah, know? You know, that's that, funny that, you mentioned David Long. I'm actually working with the son right now. Oh, really? Okay. <laughs> yeah. I was on the phone to David this morning. He's a great man. Yeah, he is. He's a top man. He's a top man. Have you got a a favourite memory from the ASB, as a, as a, as whether it be as a fan or, or, or whatever? I've got a funny moment. Go on then, <laughs> give it to us. So Ajit was warming up for his qualifying match one year and um, I was standing just on the outside and now when, when a player gets into the draw they get uh, a number of different credentials that they can give. So my brother gave me one which makes life a bit easier, you can move around and uh, go into the players' lounge and that sort of thing. So my dad's standing on court with Ajit helping him through his pre-game routine. The, the facilities are absolutely buzzing. There's so much going on. Yeah. And um, I get a tap on the shoulder, and I turn around, and it was Bowden Barrett. And obviously, being a knacky boy as well, I mean, it's good to see a familiar face. And um, he was talking with me, and, and he had a he had something around his neck, so I thought he had a credential as well. Yeah. And so I said to the security guard, I said, hey, mate, is it all good if Bodie comes on the court? Um, Ajit's just warming up over there for a match. Mm. And he goes, nah, sorry, not with his credential. We can't get on. And he goes, but by the way, can you take a photo with me and Bowden? <laughs> and I was like, yeah, okay. All right, oh, you're not going to let him on the court, but you want a photo. Yeah, and apparently like, the, the security guard is doing it so sneakily because I don't think you were allowed to take photos of people working in security. Quality. Yeah, oh, but um, yeah, that was that was a pretty funny moment. Yeah, that's awesome, man. That's awesome. Well, I mean, Amrit, I mean, you, you're a platform sports management. If people are listening to this, they've got kids or grandkids or whatever that they're looking at US scholarships as a possibility. What's the best way to get in touch with you? Yeah, look, you can head to our website, which is platformsportsmanagement.com. But if you really want to see what we're about, go to our Instagram page, Platform Sports Management. Our, our number one thing is we want to be transparent. We want to put a spotlight on the college system. So we interview a lot of Division One coaches, Division Two coaches, junior college coaches. We talk to athletes. We have a great podcast out there. And it's just giving people education about the college system. For us, it's not just about making this um, a big business financially. It's about being uh, a really transparent company that gives athletes the most resources that we can. And, um, I mean, it'll, it'll be great for athletes to listen into some of those talks and they can walk away with some knowledge. If they are keen to work with us, we do free consultations, which they can just head to our website or our Instagram. There's a link there. They just fill out a form and we'll be in touch. And we just take them through the college process and what kind of scholarships they would get after reviewing their sports CV and academic transcripts as well. Good stuff, man. Hey, listen, I really appreciate you coming down uh, and joining us in the studio, man. It's been it's been a great chat. No, thanks for having me.
Thanks uh, for having me, and mate, it'll be good to see you at the ASB Classic, eh? Oh, well, mate, don't you worry, I'll be there. Uh, we have got, uh, thanks to 1NZ, we've got a box, so we'll be there most days. Either me and Kempi or Izzy and Daisy will be there. So, oh, how good. So you'll have how to come good. up and, and, and uh, have a lemonade. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> only, only a lemonade. Obviously. Obviously, you're a true <laughs> professional. True professional. This is the serve. Thanks to 1NZ on SENZ. We'll be back with some tennis news for you next. 1NZ has one awesome summer lined up for you. You're listening to The Serve with Ricardo Ball on SENZ. It is 25 past 11 here on The Serve. Thanks to 1NZ. You can watch the ASB Classic from a corporate box with host Tony Kemp. Thanks to 1NZ. Just text tennis to double eight double three to be in to win. Uh, Going to talk some tennis news now. And Sam, you've been uh, beavering away on uh, a few different tennis websites, getting us some uh, some of the latest go- goss uh, from been, the world of tennis. Yeah, perusing through the, uh, the tennis headlines. Um, starting with the one and only Nick Kyrgios. I'm mm. sure uh, he will feature heavily in these headlines <laughs> as the... Uh, as as the serve goes the, on. The man is a walking headline. Throughout the week, uh, Ricardo. Uh, it's a good and a bad one. Uh, the first good one is obviously he's taking part in the Adelaide International for the first time. Um, really looking forward to it. Um, first time he's played it leading up towards the Aussie Open. They like to get that sort of pre-tournament, pre-Aussie Open tournament practice yep. in. So they use these sort of satellite tournaments. He's going to appear in the Adelaide uh, International. Um, although at the same time, TalkSport host Simon Jordan, who's never shy of a controversial opinion, has come out blasting Nick for all the usual stuff. You know, he's uh, a remarkable talent, but uh, you know, petulant and all the rest. Um, the headline he's come up with is, he just doesn't actually win that much. Everyone thinks he's amazing, but he doesn't actually win that much. No, well, he's um, not wrong, is no, he? No, he seems to get to the quarters, semis, mm. final as well, uh, but just doesn't get it that last little 1%, which it is frustrating, isn't it, for people who are big tennis fans because he definitely has the ability. Yeah, I um, do wonder, I, I mean, you know, in football and other sports, there's a lot of wind-ups go on. Yeah. I wonder if you're going to play Nick Kyrgios yes. in a semi-final or a final, you know, it's a big, you do things that you know delib- to get on 100%. his nerves and just to try and get a reaction, get 100%. him wound up and get him distracted from the game. I think so. And I think he sort of does the same too. Was it against Nadal? Does it Nadal he played in the final of one of the Opens this mm-hmm. year and he tried to get into his head mentally. Yeah. Um, so anyway, a little bit of a, a little bit of a jibe there from Simon Jordan, who, like I said, isn't shy of a controversial opinion. Didn't he used to own Crystal Palace? Yes, he did, yeah. and he was very, very much uh, not liked by a lot of the Crystal Palace fans. Right. As which, not which been makes, a great owner, which makes him a great radio host. <laughs> <laughs> He's done um, his level. Now this one I really enjoy. Uh, it happened over the weekend. Casper Ruud, who of course is coming to the ASB Classic in January, uh, the Norwegian. Um, He's become the first player, get this, the first player since 2003 uh, that isn't named Roger Federer or Rafa Nadal to win the Sportsmanship Award, the Stefan Edberg Sportsmanship wow. Award. So Nadal and Federer have had a hold on that uh, for the best part of 20 years. But Casper Ruud has just been named over the weekend um, as the Sportsmanship Award winner. I find that hard to believe because I, I was sure that Nick Kyrgios would have picked it up at some point. Yeah, well, he's probably had a couple of votes. Um, he's had a couple of votes. 18-year streak. Uh, Federer wow. has won it 13 times, Nadal five times. Kasper Ruud uh, took to social media to uh, to thank the fans and the organisation. Hey, guys. It's Kasper here. Just wanted to say a big thanks to everyone who voted for me for this year's ATP Stefan Edberg Sportsmanship Awards. Uh, I feel very, very honoured and happy to win this uh Price this year. I uh, will try to keep my uh, uh, mood in the right place for next year. Can't wait to be back on court and uh, wish everyone 
great holiday um merry christmas and a happy new year when that time comes so see you back on court again uh, again soon and uh, as i said thank you to everyone who voted and uh, for atp for for um giving me this uh prize he sort of is a bit of a fairer on court isn't he very um calm temperament doesn't sort of loses cool like some of the other stars do um, so probably thoroughly deserved and I'm sure we're going to see more of Casper Ruud you know rising the ranks over the next few years we're going to see a lot more of him very soon in January in January he'd probably fact, be up there as one of the favourites I think he's world number three now isn't I think he? so yep. yeah yep. yeah, definitely yes. top five so he'll be one of the favourites he'll be up there um, to, to, to take it all out and uh, speaking of the ASB Classic and people attending Emma yeah. Raducanu who's coming down under um, she's taking on a new coach in yes. the form of Sebastian Sachs, who I believe was with Tennis New Zealand, is that right? That's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He, he was he was uh, Sebastian Lave, I, I think, um, and he was yeah. He's going to be Raducanu's new coach. So Tennis New Zealand are now looking for a new coach. Yeah, but uh, he'll be in familiar environments come January yeah. uh, if he's starting immediately. So Emma Raducanu, I'm really looking forward to seeing her down here too. Um, obviously, won the US Open, was mm-hmm. it? US Open. Um, very young talent. Hasn't really done much since. So There's been a bit of a, uh, a theme of that. Remember, because Sloane Stevens, Naomi yep. Osaka, and Emma Raducanu. Did Coco Goff win one? No. no she I might have made a final. She, she might, I think she made a final. But all three of those players have kind of had breakout years where they've come from nowhere to win the US Open, but they've all struggled post that. And it was sort of a period there, and a very small period, um, post Serena Williams, where the fields were very open. Now you've got Iga Swiatek, who is now dominating, but there yep. was a period where there wasn't someone that stood out and so there was these sort of different winners every tournament exactly and didn't Emma Raducanu go through that US Open like she only dropped one set leading into the final something, something ridiculous. like that so yeah. it's sort of remarkable that she hasn't kicked sort of on. kicked on since then but no, um, yeah because I think she's dropped right down she's about 90th now right yeah I think somewhere down yeah. there yeah I was still looking forward to seeing you here though in, uh, in January it's going to be a great a great competition Anytime always love the SP Classic a, a, you know a, a major winner yeah, in the, the Aspie Classic, it's always good, and uh, you'll be looking forward to it as well in the private box. Ricardo might have to try and, uh, you know, it's supposed sna- to be me and Kempi, so, is it? Yeah, that's carnage. Yeah, I, yeah, well, I did think that. I was just like, oh, hang on, I don't just have to look after winners; I have to look after a host as well. <laughs> um, but, it's babysitting, actually, <laughs> just a bit. Uh, it's twenty nine away from midday. Kelly Evenden, our uh, Davis Cup coach, is going to join us after the latest in news and sport. Twenty-seven away from midday here on SENZ. This is Summer Days with Ricardo Ball, and uh, this is the serve. We talk tennis for an hour ahead of the ASB Classic and the Australian Open. And joining us uh, to have a chat about where New Zealand tennis is at from his point of view is our Davis Cup captain, Kelly Evan. And g'day, Kelly. How are you? Good. How are you? Great. Yeah. Good man. How's how's Seattle treating you these days? Well, it's a little cold, <laughs> cold and grey, but it's you know overall it's a pretty nice place to live in. Yeah, man, it's a, I, I spent a little bit of time up there, and I really enjoyed uh, Seattle as a city. It's a it's a great place, mate. How how do you manage uh, doing your job as the Davis Cup captain from Seattle? Is it I, I suppose in the digital age, it's a heck of a lot easier than it would have been say ten years ago. Yeah, would, I think it would have been impossible in my era when I was playing. I, you know, but now everything's digitized, and you can talk to the kids you know, non-stop and, and uh, pretty much see whatever they're doing. I watch the videos of the finals. Um, 
on on the internet yesterday and watched the Jeep win the tournament there. And you know, it's it's a it's a definitely uh, further along than it was when I was playing. Yeah, in terms of um, where we're at uh, as a as a nation, uh, tennis developing nation, uh, I'm looking at the current team of the Davis Cup uh, that you, you've had, and you've got you know a couple of the old stages and Mike Venus and Artem Sitak there as the doubles players, but very much uh, looking to the next generation in terms of the singles players, right? With uh, KP Panu and Isaac Beecroft and Ajit Rai there. Well, you know you have to get the young guys in and expose them to to that kind of tennis. And, you know, if, if, if we have a, you know, a, a top 20, top 30 player, it doesn't matter what age they are, they're going to be the person who's anchoring the team. But you've still got to get the young guys in and give them matches in situations that, you know, they're carrying their country. I mean, that, 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 that's a lot of pressure there. And some guys play well in that pressure and some people don't play well in that pressure. And, and, and you know, you, you've got to try and see, you know, it's sometimes people surprise you, you know, and, and if you're not putting different people in, you're never going to discover them. How different is it, do you think, playing Davis Cup to, say, being on the ITF Tour or on the ATP Tour? I mean, it's the only chance you really get to represent your country. I mean, I, you know, I played in the Olympics in Seoul, which I represented my country there, but that doesn't happen very often, right? It's once every four years. And so, you know, every year you get to you know, represent your country against other countries in, in the competition of Davis Cup. And I, and I think it's a huge honour. I've always, you know, it was my favorite thing that I did when I, when I played uh, tennis. Was That was my favorite thing to do, you know, besides all the tournaments and traveling to win on Wimbledon Australian Open. But Davis Cup was the thing that I really kind of thrived in. Yeah, it's, it feels like uh, Davis Cup has taken probably the, as the development of the ATP Tour and the WTA Tour and things like that, uh, it, it is struggling for, I guess, uh, airtime at times because we have so much tennis mm-hmm. now? Right. There's a lot of tennis on. There's a lot of different formats of tennis. You know, they, they've got the Labor Cup. They've got, you know, these, these team events outside of Davis Cup that they're, you know, trying to promote. And and I think that Rakuten has done, a you know, a huge service to the Davis Cup by kind of remodeling it a little bit, you know, cutting it down from five sets to, and, you know, cutting it down from three days to two days of play. And and getting getting it more on TV, and I think I've I've seen more Davis Cup matches on TV lately, and I think that's a trend that's going to continue. The um, finals was telecast worldwide, and you know I think that that was a great event, and everybody enjoyed it, and and it showed you know uh, uh, what it's like to really represent your country. I mean, it was it was I think they're doing a really good job. What have your discussions been like with some of those senior players? I mean, uh, you know, I looked at that, that team we just talked about. Um, I, you know, there's obviously Reuben Statham and Marcus Daniel have been staples in recent years. They, they're not in the current team. Are they still guys that you're talking to and keeping up to date with? Are, are they still in the plans? Well, we, they always have to be. I mean, you know, Reuben's been a stalwart on the team for, for years and, you know, great singles player. And, and you know, if, he, if he's available... Um, and he's asked. I mean, I, you know, hopefully we can get him on the team. And you know, the, the the other guys know what it's like to play for the country. They've done well under that pressure, and it, it it's valuable to have them around the young guys to, to kind of model the behaviour that that's necessary to to perform in those kind of pressure situations. On that front, then, how important is Mike Venus? Hey, very, very, very important. I wish Mike was about eight years younger because, I mean, he's, he's a heck of a doubles player. I mean, you know, as proven, top 10 in the world. You know, he's the best doubles player we've ever had. 
on a team in, in the history of New Zealand. And, you know, he's, he's really a fun guy to be around with. He's really upbeat. He's really kind of tries to nurture the young guys and, and helps them out. And, and just, just an all-around good guy. In terms of uh, what his future is with the Davis Cup team, I mean, I, I take it you've had conversations with him. Is he off the board as, as a singles option for you now? Is he just doubles? I think we've got a lot of, yeah, I think he's off the board for singles for sure. I don't think physically, you know, at his age, I don't think he's, you know, good enough to be able to compete with the young guys on a daily basis. Um you know, we've got a lot of young bodies out there. We've got some good kids coming along and, it's, you know, a little bit more practice and a little bit more experience and, you know, a few more tournaments. And, and you know, I think a couple of them are really going to break through. Um, you know, we've got Ruben who, you know, Ruben's a fit machine, right? And so, you know, I don't think Mike wants to go out there and try and try his luck against those guys. And, you know, he just kind of anchors the doubles and, and, and trying to, you know, that's a point we could always basically say we're going to get. You know, and that's been a hard thing for New Zealand to get is, the, you know, guaranteed wins. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, at that level, you know, anything like that is uh, is a, you've got to take it if it's on offer. Um, you talked about the mm-hmm. IT, ITF tournament in Wellington um, that Ajit uh, won. I just had his brother, actually, Amrit, um, in for a chat before you. He said he was just uh, FaceTiming him from Papa Moa ahead of the one in Tauranga, mate. Um, you obviously get to watch those online, but the play-in tournament for the ASB Classic this time around is how our guys are going to get wild cards. Um, mm-hmm. Is that going to be shot? Is that going to be broadcast, or are you getting a private feed? I mean, you, you'll be keen to get uh, eyes on that, no doubt. Well, yeah, I, I definitely will be paying attention in in you know whatever manner that I can, um, and if it's video, that would be fantastic. The um, you know, and I think it's a great format for the kids. I mean, it puts pressure on them. I mean, they have an opportunity to play in the biggest men's tennis tournament in New Zealand uh, by winning through that tournament. And so it's going to put pressure on people. It's going to, you know, Ajit's going to have to back up his good form in this week. Um, you know, and it's those kind of things that, you know, you kind of really see what, what, what people are made of. Um, and, you know, because it's in their backyard, right? It's everybody's there watching. And they know what's at stake. They get to play in the tournament, and that's that's important. You have to you have to see how people deal with pressures like that. And it, you know, for a lot of guys, uh, the younger guys particularly, who are you know maybe back here from college at the moment or playing the ITF mm-hmm. uh, series, you know, it's an opportunity to play on home soil three tournaments in a row in three weeks, right? Which is has got to be massive well, uh, just for the level that they get exposed to for that period of time. Yes, well, I mean to have three events. You know, in New Zealand is, is is you know incredibly like advantageous for them. It gives them an, a, a foot up of you know giving them ATP points, getting them on the tour, getting them entry into other tournaments, and, and it's it's a huge thing uh, that New Zealand has done it. And then you know the culmination of it, getting to play in the ASB. If you know one of the guys is going to get out of there and win that tournament and get a chance to play in the ASB and really stand toe to toe with them, we've, we've got a great field coming for that tournament. I mean, it's. You know, there's some great players coming in there, and and you know, just to get in there and play with them and hang out with them is is a really valuable um, thing that they're not getting. And I think you know, if they they get around it, I think maybe they get a little hungrier and they want to see and they want to you know these 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 are real professionals making a living playing tennis. 
you know, so it, it'll be fun for the, for whoever comes through there. Yeah, well, I mean, we have a wild card straight into the main draw for the winner and a wild card into qualifying for the runner-up. Uh, I mean, mm-hmm. you keep an eye on the players coming through, guys that, you know, maybe we don't see too much of because they're playing in the college system. But, I mean, who are some of the mm-hmm. names that you, you think uh, that you're looking at, that you're keeping tabs on, that you think could be part of that Davis Cup program coming up and that we might see in this play-in tournament? Uh, you know, I I don't want to tip my hat, and I don't want to give anybody a little any leg up on the the, the um, Davis Cup insides. But uh, there's about ten guys in there that are you know that are available, and you know I'm looking at them all, and I think they'll all be represented in the tournament. So you know it's it's going to be a a fun week. Uh, see how that falls out. A couple of days, actually. Yeah. Well, I mean, that, that you're saying ten guys, you know, that could legitimately sort of challenge and, and be part of a, a future Davis Cup team. I mean, in in terms of our potential depth, I suppose you would call it. Um, how happy are mm. you at the moment? And is is that? Uh, I don't know if I'm I'm uh, off the mark here, but is that possibly some of the best depth we've ever had? I, th- I think we got we've got some really good young guys that are that are playing. You know, you've seen it this week they were out there playing, and and we've got some un untested um, guys that are kind of in college, and you know you can kind of hide in college and not really do that well, um, and never really or, or do really well and not really get much coverage. And and so you know those those people need to be kind of exposed a little bit more, and and you know see where they where they get to. But you know the the final you know who is that guy? You know, he's a great guy. He's got a huge serve. You know, Ajit played a good match against him. And um, uh, and it's just, you know, you've got to get those guys on the court with real pressure from real high-ranked players and, and see how they do. Kelly, before I let you go, uh, the ASB Classic is, you know, a lot of what this show is about, um, and we're really mm-hmm. looking forward to, to having it back after a couple of years out with with COVID. But from your point of view, whether it be as a player or whether it be as a, you know a spectator, uh, what's your sort of favourite memory of the of the ASB Classic? Well, I mean, just the crowd. I mean, when you're when you're playing, you know, in Auckland on that ASB, you know, it's a small, intimate. Um, stadium. I know it's been changed since I played it, but it used to be, you know, the, the, the Kiwi crowds are great, right? If you go to New Zealand, they're playing, they love it. They're cheering, they're yelling, they're screaming, they're, you know, and that, that's that's why you play. You know, you play to have moments where everybody's on your side, and it's not very often like that. You go play, you know, you're playing in England, and, you, and you're playing an English guy, everybody's for that guy. Nobody wants you to win, you know? So it's really nice to have 100% of the fan base cheering you on, maybe besides the, you know, the parents of the other person you're playing. Uh, and you just don't ever get that, you know, around the world. And, you know, Roger Federer does everywhere he goes, but, you know, there are very few people like that that have, that have garnered that kind of support, you know? So, so it, it's a really fun environment, especially, you know, if, if you're in a battle and you're fighting and, and having those people behind you, and they, they pulled me through matches for sure. You know, matches I was down and out and, you know, they keep cheering and, and, you know, got me back into a couple of matches that I know for sure. Without them, I don't win. When are we going to see you down here, Kelly? I'll be down probably around the 20th of January. I'm going to spend some time in Auckland working with the kids, um, you know, and the team and, you know, reacquainting myself with, with New Zealand. I haven't been there in a long time. We used to come down every two years and I haven't been quite a while. Uh so, you know, and got some things to do there and catch up with old friends and, you know, maybe play golf with Brett Stevens and have dinner with Jeff Simpson and <laughs> see what's going on. Um, you know, it's going to be fun.
Yeah, it'll man. Uh, it'll be great. It'll be uh, great to escape the snows of Seattle, and uh, hopefully when you're down here, we can maybe uh, get you in studio. Love to. That'd be great. Great stuff, Kelly. Really appreciate your time, man. Go well. Have a great Christmas and travel safe in January, eh? Yeah, you too. See you soon. See Bye. you soon. Bye-bye. Kelly Evan in the, the New Zealand Davis Cup captain, of course, one of our great singles players, did make the quarterfinals of the Australian Open back in 1987. It is 14 away from midday. If you want to have a go, if you want to have a go at playing You Cannot Be Serious, then I think that uh, you should give us a call now. 0800 150 811. 0800 150 811 to play. You cannot be serious. See if you can bag yourself uh, a place in that draw for a couple of tickets in the corporate box with either Izzy and Daisy or myself and Kempe. 0800 150 811. 0800 150 811. We'll do that next. One NZ has one awesome summer lined up for you. You're listening to The Serve with Ricardo Ball on SENZ. It is time for You Cannot Be Serious. Damon from Palmy, how you doing, brother? Yeah, good, thank you. It's a story, mate. You know how this works, right? It's true or false questions? Oh, no, I've never done this one. All right, true or false questions, buddy. you got three. Uh, you ready to go? Yes. All right. An Argentinian male has never won the ASB Classic. True or false? False. So talented. It's beyond a joke. So talented, beyond a joke, Damon. Well done. Uh, here is question two. Maria Sharapova won each major title at least once. True or false? Oh, true. So talented. It's beyond a joke. Oh, what a genius. Uh, yeah, she won the Aussie Open in 2008, the French in 2012 and 2014, Wimbledon in 2004, and the US in 2006. All right, this is the last one, mate. Yeah, get this right, and you're in that draw to maybe be hosted by me and Kempi or Izzy and Daisy uh, at the ASB Classic, thanks to 1NZ. Chris Lewis beat John McEnroe in the 1983 Wimbledon final. True or false? False. So talented. It's beyond a joke. Oh, mate, well done. Three from three. Not Thank bad you. for your first go, Damon. We'll put you in that draw, mate, and hopefully we'll see you up here in January. That'll be bloody awesome. Thank you very much. No worries. Good luck, uh, Damon, there. In the draw, you too can get in the draw just by texting double eight double three. Text tennis to double eight double three, and you're in the draw. Thanks to 1NZ. This is The Serve. One NZ has one awesome summer lined up for you. You're listening to the Serve with Ricardo Ball on SENZ. Yeah, it's nearly uh, midday and just about time for the latest in news and sport. Uh, make sure you you get yourself in to win a uh, double pass to the corporate box to be hosted by either myself and Kempi or Izzy and Daisy Dag. All you got to do is text tennis to double eight double three to be in to win. That's all thanks to one NZ. We're in one of their corporate boxes, and uh, that'll be a great day out in the sun watching the tennis. 
uh, and having a couple of lemonades. So uh, text us double eight double three the word tennis, and you are in the draw. Coming up in the next hour, Jordan Canellis from SEN is going to join us. We're going to talk the Football World Cup and the problems in the A League, the APL, the demonstration that went horribly wrong in the Melbourne Derby. We'll also catch up with Henry Shipley, newly named Black Cap, who is going to join the tour to Pakistan and India. Brand are experts in agriculture, covering your equipment, parts and service needs to help you succeed in your field. This is Summer Days on SNZ with Ricardo Ball. past midday here on SENZ this is your summer days with Ricardo Ball and coming up this hour we're going to catch up with Henry Shipley the newly named Black Cap the Canterbury All-Round has been named to the White Ball squads for the India-Pakistan tours in January we'll catch up with him uh, we'll keep your texts rolling through on double eight double three as well we've got a few there we'll get to shortly but before we do all of that we're going to catch up with the voice of football for SEN over the ditch Jordan Canellis g'day Jordan how are you? Good, Ricardo. How are you, mate? Yeah, good, mate. I mean, uh, a little bit jaded after the four o'clock start to watch that uh, World Cup final, but man, what a World Cup final! I know it was unbelievable. Um, we've had uh, we've had a couple of good World Cup finals in a row now, and this one, um, a lot of I'm still trying to unpack it honestly, but a lot of people saying that's one of the the best World Cup finals ever, maybe the best World Cup final ever, and. Um, uh, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but it, it probably it will go down as one of the best ones ever. We haven't had many that have gone to uh, penalty shootouts of the of the 22 finals we've had. Uh, that's the third, and that one is one of the highest scoring finals we've had as well. You don't often get six goals in a World Cup final. We did four years ago, but normally prior to that, it's pretty cagey, sort of one nil, uh, you know, maybe two nil. But uh, to have so many goals scored. Um, to have the two star players from, from both teams, Lionel Messi and Kylian Mbappe, doing so well. A hat-trick from Mbappe, controversial penalties, and then ending with uh, with Lionel Messi winning the trophy. Uh, everything just uh, converged together to make it a really nice uh, final and, uh, and, yeah, very entertaining. Yeah, it was... <laughs> incredibly entertaining final. I was trying to compare it to other finals. I mean, you know, there have been some that have been absolute yawns, like the 2010-2014 finals weren't great. I don't think 2002 was particularly good, um, or the one in the US either. But, I mean, 82 was the first one I remember that was great. 86 was up there, and, yeah, probably 98 as well. Um, I don't know where it sits for you, if you've managed to unpack that yet. Um. Not, not, not quite. But I think from from the ones that I've seen anyway, or well, most of them from in the 21st century, this one probably sits right up there. Uh, the ones prior to that are a bit early for me, but the but definitely the ones from from yeah the last six, five, six, seven uh, World Cup finals. It's probably yeah it definitely ranks um, up above most of them. Um, the last two, as I said, have been pretty good. But yeah, you probably are going back to. Back to the uh, to, to the eighties when the scores were a bit higher and they were a bit more sort of open. Uh, that's that's how far back you have to go for it to to be sort of um, 
you know, in, in the same ballpark as those finals. Yeah, yeah, indeed. Um, well, what about the uh, the game itself? I mean, the French didn't turn up for the first 70 minutes, did they? And, you know, for all the people that were, you know, taking to Twitter to talk about how good Mbappe was, I, I actually tweeted out, I was like, can somebody tell me when he got subbed on? I must have missed it. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, they were... Uh, I mean, Mbappe's been pretty quiet the last couple of uh, games. He, it was, he went missing against England in the quarterfinals. He went missing uh, in the semifinal against Morocco. And then he went missing for the first 80 minutes of this game. And, and really... France, the entire French team did, especially for the first half in particular, where Argentina were just on top um, all the way through. They were they were they were bullying the French. They were so good. They were just tight in everything they did in defence, um, closing down any time a French player looked even remotely to get close um, to, to closer towards goal in, in the Argentinian half. Argentina would send out a player to press up, win the ball back, and then and uh, and then and then counter attack the other way. And so. France never really had any time on the ball at all. They had no possession. They were completely out of the game in the first half, and Argentina were doing everything magnificently. Um, it was kind of funny because Argentina had... They brought Ankel Di Maria back into the team, hadn't played since the, the group stage, out with an injury. Um, they brought him on to play on the left wing, and he played almost exclusively on the left wing, and there wasn't really a right winger. Both Alvarez and Messi were playing in the middle, so it was Di Maria on the left, Alvarez and Messi in the middle and no one on the right. So it made it pretty obvious that Argentina were going to go down the left flank. I mean, they were telegraphing that play pretty much every single time to the French and still uh, Argentina were getting the better of the French because of how good Di Maria was. And it's unbelievable his ability, having missed the last three games, um, he was only subbed on very briefly in the quarterfinal, um, but coming on and having an instant impact and, and being probably... I actually don't know who officially won the man of the match, but I think, it, in my opinion, it should have been Di Maria if it wasn't. Um, and then, and then all of a sudden, France just when they needed to, they scored. Uh, well, they got they got lucky first by getting a penalty, and then Mbappe just pulled one out of nowhere. And from being completely out of the game, they were suddenly back in it off off two flash goals. Yeah, that's the thing. I mean, the Argentinians should have been well out of sight by then, right? With the amount of possession they had, the amount of chances they had. Um, I had uh, Noel Barclay, former all-white striker, on with us just after 10 o'clock. And, you know, he brought up something that I thought during the match deserved closer scrutiny. And that was the penalty call for the challenge on McAllister, um, which would have made it 3-0. Um, but uh, didn't even seem like VR went upstairs for that. Was that something that stood out for you? Uh, yes, I'm trying to recall that incident now. Um, I do remember one that that went unfounded, though. Yeah, Upin Carmo um, put his shoulder basically into McAllister's back. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There, there was a couple of... I thought the referees in general, just to make a general comment, I thought they were okay, but some of those some of those closer calls around the edge of the box were a little... or Either inside or around the edge of the box were a bit dubious. They probably left a few that could have been given. They probably gave a few that shouldn't have been given, like the Di Maria penalty. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, being 2-0 up in the 80th minute, you should be able to see it out from there. So uh, I don't know if they, I don't know if really, looking back on it, they, they should have needed a third goal because they was in such uh, tight control of the game after being up 2-0 with 10 minutes to go. Yeah, I mean, you would have thought they would have learned that lesson from the Dutch because they did the same there, but they they didn't. <laughs> they didn't. Uh, where does where does this leave the uh, the Messi Ronaldo chat? Uh, does that chat belong, uh, still exist? Um, and I, I think it's well and truly been put to bed, hasn't it? Yeah, I, I think so. I think a World Cup 
um, definitely elevates Messi higher than Ronaldo. It's the ultimate glory in, in, in world football. I mean, both players are unbelievable. Uh, regardless, they're both incredible footballers who, who will define this generation. Um, but uh, but Messi winning the trophy now, this is especially at the end of his career. It's it kind of it's timed perfectly actually because if he had won it earlier in his career, it might have still. Because they're, they're, you know, if he'd won it, let's say, at 25 years old instead of 35, there would have been so much more still in his career to go. And maybe with time, that World Cup victory becomes a little more diluted. But because he's won it at the end of his career, and this will be sort of the last major thing he does, most likely, in his career, it's kind of the perfect send-off. And that will be, this will be our most, our, our freshest memory forevermore about Lionel Messi as a player. So it kind of puts him, it gives him that, that step ahead of, of Ronaldo and there's really not much now that either player can do. Ronaldo's starting to slow up as a player. Messi's done it all. He's done everything he needs to do. So, um, I mean, I like I like Messi anyway better as a player. And I'm not. I don't really partake in the in the, the rivalry between uh, Messi fans and Ronaldo fans. I don't mind the debate in general about discussing who's better. But the sometimes you get Ronaldo fans who will show you know hatred almost towards Lionel Messi, which is a bit juvenile. Um, but but Lionel Messi for me is I think he's the more skillful player and and has uh, has brought more joy I think to a lot more people around the world than Ronaldo has. That's no slight on Ronaldo, but I just think Messi's a better player. And now the accolades probably points to that being the case. Yeah, I was going to say I, I think uh, Piers Morgan's just about jumped the shark. Uh, I saw him on Twitter this morning <laughs> saying it wasn't a penalty and then suggesting that the French side had been deliberately poisoned. It wasn't a virus. Uh, he's he's gone. <laughs> he's gone full Ronaldo fanboy after their interview. Hey uh, Jordan, I mean we've had a we've had a really good tournament on the field, right? Um, all the political stuff mm-hmm. aside, off the field with Qatar, but we've had a really good tournament on the field. Been a really good tournament too for Australia. Uh, you know, I don't think. I don't think anybody rated Graham Arnold going into this tournament, and 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 then you look what he did. Um, so props to him, and you know a lot of excitement in Australian football about what the Socceroos achieved. But it feels like between the APL decision to sell grand finals to uh, Sydney and the Melbourne victory fans at the Melbourne Derby, all the all that good work has been well and truly undone. It has been. It has been. Yeah, I was. Um, I was really, really. Uh, shattered really by by the the incidents from uh, two nights ago. Um, yeah, fo- football in, uh, in in this country, and I don't know if this resonates with with you guys in New Zealand as well. I know rugby union's a massive sport over there, but it is it, the sport in this part of the world feels like it's always just fighting a, an uphill battle to be seen and be recognised and be respected in the same way as the other mainstream sports are, like Aussie rules here, cricket um, for both our nations, and it feels like the sport. Uh, just is always kind of on the outer. Whenever there's a good thing that happens, it's always it's a, there's a, a groundswell of emotion um, from from obviously the general fans of of sport, but also it's really sort of those big moments, those good moments are really cherished by the the football enthusiasts. And so, off the back of the World Cup um, and and the great stuff that the Aussies did, all of the the football the sort of the true football fan or the, the long-term football fans I'll say in Australia felt like this was a, a, a seminal moment that this was football getting back into into the spotlight a chance for the sport to be uh, recognized and and move forwards and have good things happen to it whatever that means whether it's more participants at, at youth level whether it's incoming uh, potential government funding which which it needs um, you know, better for corporates, better for you know the long-term women's game, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. There was all these sort of things that 
the door could have been open for that off the back of the World Cup. And in a flash, it, it just was completely out the window after what happened, what felt like that anyway, after what happened on Saturday night. Who knows what the long-term effects are actually going to be. Um, but yeah, it's really disappointing that yet again, football seems to shoot itself in the foot uh, in Australia. Um, and and yeah, pretty much any... I don't know if this is overly being too pessimistic, but it does feel like that any all, all of the goodwill that was built from the World Cup is now just completely gone, just disintegrated with, with what happens. And it felt it, a lot of people were calling it the darkest day in, in football in Australia. Um, maybe that might be the case for the modern era since the A-League uh, has, has been around. Um, but, yeah, I, I sort of haven't felt as... I've never really felt as disillusioned with the game, or with the league anyway, and with Melbourne victory as I did on that Saturday night. Time will, will heal that, and, and already started. it's already started to do that, but never really felt uh, any... Me personally, never really felt any sort of... Um, ill will towards the sport like I did. And that was just, I guess that's, that's just how sort of serious the moment was. Yeah, uh, it was incredibly serious, as you put it. Uh, obviously, you know, seeing the Melbourne City goalkeeper cop a steel bucket to the side of the head, uh, you know, he had, he had blood streaming from his face. The referee got um, caught with that as well. Um, had all those fans come on the on the pitch. I, I know that, you know, some of the victory fans were trying to use it as an, as an excuse that the uh, City keeper threw flares back into the ground or back into the stands as to reason why that there was that reaction. I, I, don't, I don't buy that at all. Um, what do you think is going to happen from here. I mean, from a, from an A League point of view, we see points docked for Melbourne victory games played behind closed doors. What do you think is going to happen? Yeah, that's um, that's yeah something along those lines. I think there'll definitely be there'll definitely be bans for those people. There'll definitely be uh, fines. I think for Melbourne victory and and uh, I don't know if players will be suspended. The players that partook, in particular Tom Glover, because he was. Uh, his, his crime was a lot less throwing the flare back, but it still might be something that gets punished. I don't know. That's sort of by the by. Um, but I think it's, it's a really, this is a, a, an important moment now for football administration in this country to make the right decisions. You know, an administration which is critis- has been criticised uh, by the fans as recently as the last week with that decision for the grand final last week. Um, so it's an important time now in Australian football that the leadership is strong and, and makes a tough uh, call and, and makes um, you know dishes out severe enough punishments that 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 uh, fit appropriately to the crimes. Um, so that that's the short term, and then yeah, point points deduction. I think is probably, I think that's probably part of the course. It feels like we've we've seen that before for incidents that have happened similar to this in Australian sports and in world football as well. So I think that's kind of, I think that's that that fits. And that's the short term, and then. To sort of expand on what this means for Australian football in the long term, it, it it's. I mean, you don't want to. I don't want to be too pessimistic about this, but it is a. And again, sort of to the first point I was making earlier, this could be something that really tarnishes the image of the sport in this country. Hopefully, not severe enough that it that it um, that it ruins sort of the commercial viability of the sport because that's something that has always. Uh, that the A League has always struggled with, with you know, in particularly recently after the Fox Sports uh, Australia TV broadcast rights deal um, was was ended and not renewed, and then uh, you know the A League struggled to find a new broadcaster, eventually landing with Paramount. 
similar story with the major partner. It used to be Hyundai, now it's Isuzu, but they had to change hands there. It's just, and, and the game has struggled to find those 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 uh, corporate partners and those broadcast partners. So hopefully this doesn't sour the relationship between the league and those partners who are so important to football um, surviving. Really, it's it's the it's the it's the lifeblood now. Unfortunately, that's the way it is. It's just football or sport is a business, and you need money. So hopefully it doesn't tarnish the image of the sport so drastically that that those partners, uh, you know, leave with a sour taste and and the A-League is left to scramble again. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing, because it's taken all the heat off the APL, you know. The fan groups had all talked to each other and decided a a walkout at 20 minutes to protest the uh, selling of the grand finals to Sydney was what they were going to do, and that's fine, you know. You you, you appreciate that, and the fans got to have a voice. Mm. Um, But, you know... uh, You'll know this better than we will here. In Australia, in football culture, and a lot of fans talk about how they get treated in stadiums. They port, they get treated poorly by the police and stadium security often. And there have been lots of horror stories over the years about uh, heavy-handedness, uh, which is really kind of out of step with what's going on. But all those authorities will now feel vindicated in the things they've done in the past. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, it. It, it's it's completely ruined any um, sort of progress that the active support had made. I mean, there was what was it now? Six years ago, seven years ago, with with the first sort of instance of of active of heavy handedness from security towards the active support in the A League, and there were walkouts then as well. The fan fan groups walked out of the stadiums. Uh, different active support groups were had been disbanded because they just felt it was it was futile really trying to be an active support group in the A League. Um, and it had been slowly building back towards uh, how it used to be at the start of the, the league when the active support was, was lively and buzzing. And the last sort of two or three years, all the, the, the games that I've been a part of broadcasting and the people that I've been around in football have always have started to sort of comment again more and more in the last two or three years about how good has the active support been from Melbourne Victory and from Sydney FC and Western Sydney Wanderers. Um, and... And we've noticed less and less uh, of a security of a heavy security presence. There's always going to be security, but hasn't been nearly as heavy as it used to be, you know, almost a decade ago or, or just under. Um, but that has now been ruined, and I think it's going to be uh, it's going to be probably heavy-handed security again if if the games are played with crowds. There's been talk that they might be behind closed doors now for the rest of the season for the victory. But yeah, this is it's it's astonishing, but also. Not surprising that the actions of a few idiots have completely undone the, the the good work that had been built up over the last couple of years. Yeah, 100%, mate. All right. Hey, Jordan, listen, I know you've had a big day, uh, so we'll let you go, mate. But appreciate you coming on, talking World Cup, talking A-League, and giving us some sort of perspective on that too. Anytime, Ricardo. No, a, a pleasure. Cheers, a pleasure. mate. Thanks, mate. Go well. Go well. Uh, and enjoy that World Cup hangover. Uh, which I'm sure you're going to have uh, with all those early mornings and strange hours you have been doing. It is uh, 12.21 here on SENZ. Keep your texts coming through. Double eight double three is the Temper Bedpost text machine. Uh, had this one actually come through uh, on the World Cup final saying, if Argentina replaced Di Maria with Dybala or another attacker instead of Acuna, they probably would have scored a third goal. Yeah, Chris, I think you're probably right. They probably would have, but that was the approach they took. And Maggie texted during the uh, serve uh, towards the end there saying, I think you have Raducanu, who's new coached, mixed up with Bianca Andrescu's new coach. And Maggie, you're 100% right. Can't trust me with Romanian names. I apologise profusely. Thanks for uh, correcting us on that one. It is 12.22. We'll come back with some more of your texts after this. Help you succeed in your field. You're listening to Summer Days with Ricardo Ball on SENZ.
Smithy's Cricket Update, thanks to Razine, New Zealand's most trusted paint brand. Having a look at uh, some cricket news for you, uh, one of those things that uh, we're going to be talking to Henry Shipley uh, in a little while. Uh, he's been uh, named in the Black Caps ODI squads for back-to-back three-match series in Pakistan and India in January. Uh, now, Kane Williamson, who's obviously now just the white ball captain, Tim Southey, who's the test captain, along with Gary Stead and Shane Jurgensen, are going to return home after the Pakistan ODIs in Karachi to begin preparations for that test series against England here in mid-February. So Luke Ronke's going to take over as the head coach for three ODIs against India, Jan 18 to 24, and three T20s, Jan 27 to Feb 1. Um, and Bob Carter and Paul Wiseman are going to be his backup staff over there. But they have announced uh, some recalls. Actually, interesting ish. Sodi's been recalled. So has Henry Nichols to the ODI squad. Uh, Jacob Duffy and Mark Chapman are also going to join in. They replace Wiseman and Southie, basically, uh, in the squad. So this is the uh, the ODI squad they've named for Pakistan and India. Kane Williamson for the Pakistan ODIs only. Uh, Tom Latham, he's going to captain uh, against India. Finn Allen, Michael Bracewell, Mark Chapman, India ODIs only. He's just been awarded a central contract, actually. Uh, Devin Conway, Jacob Duffy, in for just the India ODIs, not the Pakistan ones. Lockie Ferguson, Matt Henry, Adam Milne, Daryl Mitchell, Henry Nichols, Glenn Phillips, Mitch Santner, Henry Shipley, and Ish Sodi. And then Tim Southey's in there as well, but just for the Pakistan ODIs. Uh, Kyle Jamison, unavailable because he continues to recover from that back injury. So, yeah, it's a, a pretty well-balanced team. A few new faces in there too. And uh, interesting that Mark Chapman, they obviously see him as one for the future. Uh, he has previously played international cricket for Hong Kong. Um, he is now very much part of the Black Caps setup, and he's been awarded his first New Zealand cricket central contract, basically filling uh, the gap that was left by Martin Gupta when he left in November. So far, Chapman's played 27 games for the Black Caps since making his debut in 2018, and has been part of the last two T20 World Cups as well. Uh, had a couple of texts through this one on double eight double three. Hey Ricardo, Peter Drury's commentary made the game for me. Uh, love the use of phrases and excitement. Best game of football I've ever watched and very happy for Messi. Now the true GOAT. Yeah, thanks for your text. And uh, potentially we might have the man himself, Peter Drury, on tomorrow. So uh, stay tuned for that one. And off the back of our tennis chat as well, sadly tennis has struggled for years with money. You need money to help finance the young players through the programs and overseas trips to expose them to the talent outside New Zealand, which in turn makes them work harder knowing how tough it is out there. Yeah, it does, and that's why you know it was um, great having Amrit Rai on and talking about that platform sports management that he runs and getting those scholarship opportunities uh, for young Kiwis over in the States that you know tennis in New Zealand can't provide. So thanks very much for your texts. Keep them rolling through. Double eight, double three. Coming up, hopefully we're going to be talking uh, to uh, the man who's going to be making his debut uh, soon in, um, in Henry Shipley. I know he's just winding up training at the moment, so hopefully we can get him after the latest in news and sport. Uh, We'll do that now, and uh, hopefully we'll have Henry on the back of this.
It is uh, 26 away from 1 o'clock here on SENZ. And we have our summer days for you through till Christmas. Uh, we also have Stumped. We have changed the times because of our change of hours. So we're going to do something now. If you want to play Stumped and have a crack at winning a $50 TAB bonus bet, give us a call now, 0800 150 811. And you can play Stumped with uh, Sam and I will do that shortly. Another text that's come through. Hey, Ricardo, Peter Drury is the Tony Cozier of football. Sweet tones from Mark and Christchurch. Thanks, Mark. And uh, you've got some breaking news for us, Sam. Yeah, well, I'm going to dress it up as breaking news. I don't know if you've seen this, Ricardo, but um, reported on News Hub, I think it's Ollie Ritchie that's come out and said that uh, Razor will not be announced as the England coach. That is not going to happen. Instead, uh, they've, or the um, Crusaders have confirmed that he will be coaching in 2023. They're stoked. They're over the moon, obviously, as he goes for seven titles. So Razor is, at this stage, firmly committed to the Crusaders. No England job. For Scott Robertson. Okay, interesting. All right. So that only leaves, I guess, the Wallabies' job if it's up for grabs. Yeah. Type thing. That that's the only one left for Razor. Yeah, exactly. Well, hopefully the All Blacks' job too. Yes. Um, hopefully. Certainly not pre World Cup though. No. That, that one might be a post World Cup announcement. But yeah, yeah, we'll see. We'll, yeah. Well, you would hope they would they would have learned their lessons from 2019 because they left it late last time and then ended up with nobody, no options. Yeah. So well, they went with Fozzie. Mate, they've always made a schmozzle of the. Uh, of the All Blacks coaching appointment, haven't they? They have, mate. They have. Uh, 0800 150 811. You want to play stump? Give us a call now. 0800 150 811. Ian Smith's had a good match here. Stumped by Smithy. Ian Smith really is top class at his job. Right. Right, that's you. Is that me? Do I take you, over? You so take very over new to the here, segment, yeah. people. So uh, you will have to forgive me if I stuff it up. Hopefully, I do a better job than Joe Bell when he <laughs> filled in on this uh, on this segment uh, months ago. Never got asked back to to uh, produce for Smithy. So. Uh, <laughs> I'll see if I do a better job. I've got a million buttons on the wall here as well. Hopefully, I click the right one. Um, I think we start off with Scott down in Wellington. G'day, Scott. Morning, uh, afternoon, Sammy and Ricardo. How are you going? Yeah, Very good well, mate. You. Yep. Afternoon by about thirty-seven minutes. <laughs> You've, you're, you're well onto it, mate. So, uh, look, you, you know how it works, Scotty. Um, three categories up for grabs. You pick one, three questions. If you get one wrong, Rick Dog gets a chance to knock your bales off. If he doesn't, you're safe. And if you're there at the end, you win yourself a tabby bonus bet. So the categories I have today for you, Scott, are World Cups, as in football World Cups, cricket, and NRL. Um. If it was anyone but Ricardo, I'd go World Cup. Oh, um, back yourself. So, <laughs> um, I will go cricket. You go cricket? All right. Yeah, right. play. How, how is that sitting in your wheelhouse of strength, Ricardo? Cricket? Uh, it's not too bad. Okay. it's My cricket's better than my golf or ice hockey knowledge. Ah, sure. Well, I didn't put ice hockey in here, lucky for you. All right, yep. let's get underway. Okay, Scott. Question number one. Which cricketer? has the most ODI runs for New Zealand in history. Uh, Just a couple of chips down the wicket, right in the slot, and away it goes. And away it goes. You would have got that, Rick, eh? Yes, I had yeah, that Yeah, look, one. I just like to ease you guys into these ones. Um, question number two, Scott. New Zealand is currently ranked fifth in the world for tests. Name three of the four teams ahead of them on the rankings. Uh, uh, England, Australia, India. Just a couple of chips down the wicket, right in the slot, and away it goes. Talk about a gimme. Yeah, what about the fourth one, Ricardo? 
Uh, the fourth one of those nations, oh, probably South Africa, isn't it? Yeah, well done. Mm. South Africa. Right, question number three. This one here is for the chocolates. Scott, need I remind you, question number three. Who is New Zealand's first opponent of the home summer when they return back from Pakistan and India? Who are New Zealand's first opponent? Uh, England. That's a couple of chips down the wicket. Whoa. Right in the slot. Hattrick. And the way it goes. Oh, maybe I made it too easy for them today, Ricardo. Oh, maybe. You know. I've just listened to this segment a lot, and I feel like you guys all get hard done by, so I uh, <laughs> I put together a, a nice little Christmas uh, version of Stump to give you an early Christmas present, well, Scott. I'm- you're in your nice Christmas mood already, Sammy. Yeah, that's right. I mean, we're in the. It, it is the season for giving, right? So we should make sure uh, that, that, that it's that it's gettable each day this week. I think, Sam, spread the love. Yeah, no, I'll try my best. Uh, no, right. I, I'll tell you because some of those questions hold over, don't they, for yeah. the other two? So I'll make I'll make them a little bit harder tomorrow. tomorrow. I'll make them a little bit harder. Okay, all right. Don't all right. Worry about I like that. it. Right. And uh, Scott, you got to tell for fifty dollars TAB bonus bet. Where are you going to put it? Uh, I'll probably save it for next week for when the Premier League comes back on. Ah, uh, yeah. So I see there's a bunch of, I think it's the round of 16 of the League Cup uh, starts Wednesday, Wednesday, Thursday? Yeah, yeah. No, I was actually having a look at that this morning. So um, there's a few interesting ties in there. I thought, um, I think, is it uh, Wolves and Lincoln, I think, maybe? Yeah. Um, I was thinking, you know, there, there could be a bit of a shock there because obviously the, the bigger boys haven't been playing, but um, League uh, 1 and 2 have played the old game through that time. Yeah, could could be could be a good time to back an upset. You reckon? Oh, I, I reckon it could be. I don't know if I'll put the fifty on that, but um, you know, I wouldn't mind putting five dollars on that and uh, chucking a few other ones in there as well. Yeah, see how it all goes, mate. Well, best of luck with it, Scott. Go well. Awesome. Thanks, guys. If I don't talk to you, have a Merry Christmas. Yeah, you too, mate. You too. It is 20 away from one. When we come back, we'll be joined by Henry Shipley, the newest of the new Black Caps. Brand are experts in agriculture, covering your equipment, parts and service needs to help you succeed in your field. You're listening to Summer Days with Ricardo Ball on SENZ. Quarter away from one o'clock here on SENZ Summer Days and joining us is the newest black cap, Henry Shipley. G'day Henry, how you doing? Hey mate, yeah, no, going good thanks, how are you? Yeah, good thanks mate, congratulations on the call up. Yeah, thank you. It's been a pretty um, pretty busy morning, but um, no, thanks for that. Yeah, no worries. I mean, uh, when I texted you earlier, you were just winding up training. Was that uh, already in the Black Caps camp, or was that for Canterbury? No, that's a, a Canterbury training, just trying to sort of get ourselves ready for the upcoming Super Smash. So um, weather wasn't really playing playing ball with us, so we had to sort of hang around a bit. Yeah, weather's not been playing ball with anybody, mate, to be fair, has it? Yeah, no, to be fair, that was our first washout of the season yesterday, so I guess we've been a little bit lucky, but um, no, not so good today. No, not so good, mate, not so good. Hey, uh, I mean, the call-up for you, uh, were you surprised when you got it, or is it something that you, you felt like you were, you were ready and it was the right time in your career? Uh, yeah, I mean, like, I guess it was a little bit of a surprise. I'd just sort of been putting my head down and doing my thing with Canterbury and um, and then obviously got got the nod from Steady and Gav so um, no pretty happy about it and, and feel like I'm in a place where it's you know now's a good time so uh, definitely not going to be backing off because of that. In terms of your white ball cricket versus your red ball uh, what's the difference for you I mean I know you know you, you're sort of very much an all-rounder but I mean I, I guess uh, it's the bowling part that that is the main difference for you? 
yeah, yeah, probably. Um, I haven't really put too much thought to it. I guess it's just it's just such a different game when batters turn around and start coming at you a bit more, and the green grass on the pitch starts to disappear. But um, yeah, I think it's just about. I mean, the mindset stays pretty consistent the whole way through, and um, it's just trying to sort of adjust your skills to to the format that you're playing at the time. How, in terms of as an all-rounder, I know that you've batted sort of around that five, uh, that five and six um, for Canterbury. Do you see yourself, you know, they talk about all-rounders as being batting all-rounders or bowling all-rounders. Uh, which way do you, th- do you think it falls for you? Uh, probably have to say, say I'm a bowling all-rounder. The, uh, my first two games for Canterbury were down at number 11, so I've had to sort of work my way up a little bit. But, um, yeah, probably picked as a bowler first and then um, slowly sort of developing my, my batting skills to come along with it. Now you would have played alongside and now you're coached by a man they call Two Metre Peter who famously isn't actually two metres. Uh, you, <laughs> you guys must be pretty pretty much the same height are you? Uh, I think he's got a little bit on me yeah but close enough I'm not going to go um, I'm not going to go asking to go back to back with him. <laughs> uh, in, in terms of uh, helping your batting how, how important uh, has he been uh, for you I mean obviously as a teammate first but now as a coach? Yeah, he's been like massive, really. He, um, he he simplifies things and and kind of just leads me in a in a pretty solid direction of where I want to go. And and a lot of the time, just gives you the confidence to go out there and and, and play the way you want to, which is I suppose half the half the hurdle. Um, the skills and things come through the winter, and once the summer rolls around, it's just about going out there and and trying to show them off, really. In terms of uh, the, this tour, you know, you're going to be going uh, Pakistan, India, uh, obviously different conditions to what we see down here. Have you toured there in age group sides or, or, or development sides before? Uh, not to either of those places. I was in, did a, a thing with Canterbury, just like a training thing in India, um, which was really cool. And then with the, um, the Willows Cricket Club down in Canterbury, I went to Sri Lanka. So I've uh, had a little taste of it, but probably not in quite the same intensity as, as what it might be this time around. Yeah, and in terms, how do you go uh, as uh, in terms of swinging the ball? I would imagine that particularly in parts of India, you'll, you'll be get the opportunity to uh, to use the uh, the humidity to help you a bit if you if you swing it much. Yeah, it's a bit of a funny one. Some sometimes it just you know swings swings more than others, but um, I guess it's more about just putting it in the right spot and then let the let the ball do its thing. But um, I mean, yeah, every time we're out there and with the new ball, you're trying to sort of get it to move and, and take some early wickets. So, um, yeah, we'll see what happens, but don't want to preempt anything. No. In terms of your own preference, uh, obviously you, you've been selected for white ball, you know, it's, it's 50 over in T20, but what is your preferred um, format of the game? Uh, yeah, it's hard to, hard to sort of speak. Cause I'm, I, I think, like, the the Red Bull format's pretty um, obviously pretty important to me, and I, I quite like the the challenge of you know kind of the grind that comes with it. Um, one day cricket and T20 cricket obviously really hard and, and glamorous as well, but I think the, the traditional four day and, and Test cricket is is probably where where my heart lies. Experts in agriculture covering your equipment, parts, and service needs to help you succeed in your field. You're listening to Summer Days with Ricardo Ball on SENZ. Yeah, this is SENZ uh, Summer Days with Ricardo Ball. Four away from one o'clock. 
The Cancer Society Longest Day Golf Challenge is on now. You can register at longestday.org.nz. Apologies for the uh, uh, the way the uh, Henry Shipley uh, interview finished, but uh, we just lost him there, had some te- technical difficulties. But uh, wish him all the best uh, for his Black Caps call-up and that tour to Pakistan and India as well. Exciting times and, uh, of course, uh, the changing face of the uh, Black Caps New Zealand cricket team. I actually was looking at that and, yes, a lot of them are over 30, so they need to get some new faces in there now um, and develop them so they have some experience uh, when those older guys do decide to call it a day. Uh, some big news out of the NRL, particularly if you're an Eels fan, Sam. Oh, you're a big Eels fan, aren't you, Ricardo? I, I am a big Eels yeah, fan. Yeah, you'll be yeah. stoked about this. Yeah, Dylan Brown re-signed to 25 with an option to go to 31. Yeah, that sound, that's a bit unusual, isn't it? Mm. You generally only have a one-year option, sometimes two, but uh, he's got the big, what is it, six-year? Five, 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 six five, six-year option, option, which is, um, man, that's, that's got everything in Dylan Brown's favour. I think the Eels probably would have reluctantly... Um, handed that contract over but unfortunate for us Warriors fans Ricardo who did have a little bit of hope yep. that we might be able to secure the Kiwi um, with the with the Warriors crest on his jersey but not to be so not to be. congrats to you para fans yeah well I mean the, the thing is that a lot of the talk was we could only keep either him or Moses Right, um, and I, which I'm, I'm like, I given given how much cattle we've given up, we gave up Isaiah Papali and Reed Marnie recently. True, I I, I struggle to see why. Um, well, I'm pretty maybe sure we Reed, paid overs for Gutho. I'm pretty sure Reed Marnie, you had on a bit of a bargain. Um, but what would Mitchell Moses be on? Probably a mil. He'd be yeah. on close to a mil. So, and they say you're only you can only have one one million dollar play. Although that's sort of shifting now as the salary cap well, moves around. But I, I question that because the because guess where he's been linked to, the Bulldogs, right? And then, uh, Mitchell Moses or Dylan yeah, Brown? Mitchell Moses. Yeah. And then the other one, I saw a story today uh, linking uh, Nelson Asafa Solomona to the Bulldogs. It's like. Yeah. Have, they, have they got the old Melbourne Storm account? The sombrero. they got the Roosters yeah, sombrero. what's going on? Um, yeah, look, I'll never, I'll never understand. What I will say about the Warriors is um, I listened to a really good podcast, The Warriors Life Boys, uh, Will Evans, Fonzie. Um, if, you, if you sort of know the Warriors um, fan pages, you'll know those names. Um, they did a really interesting chat with Andrew Webster last week, the Warriors coach, and I thoroughly enjoyed it. Ricardo was about an hour long. Um, he just seems like a really down-to-earth, good bloke who's got great um, sort of football philosophy and IQ, and he's that they're really excited with the halves that they've got. You know, they've got Johnson, the, the senior guy, to sort of help lead them around. They've got Metcalf coming in. They've got Volkman. Um, and then they've also got um, Tamari Martin. Martin. So yeah. they're really happy with the four that they've got and, you know, no interest in, I guess, going to the market. If Dylan Brown said he was interested, I'm sure they would entertain the idea. Mm. But I think maybe that's partly where this has come from, is that they're like, you know what? We don't really need that. We're, we're okay with the four we've got. So yeah, Maybe. I mean, the yeah. thing the Warriors really need is more props, but they keep signing second rowers for well, some reason. Well, interesting though, because in that chat with Webster, he talks about how um, the game is changing now. You're looking for those agile, almost second rowers that are going to start becoming props. So they're, once again, they're sort of happy with where they're at. I mean, whether or not this translates to wins on the field. Yeah. Um, I just, I just feel like you have too many of those guys. You, you struggle to punch holes. I, I tend to agree with you, but um, I tell you what, he's a convincing man. If you listen to it, he'll, he'll have you sold that next year's, maybe not next year's our year, but certainly in the five to ten year period. All right, well you'd Keep hope the so. Faith. Five to ten years gives himself plenty of, plenty of rope, plenty of rope. Coming up after one o'clock, Jeff Wilson, former All Blacks, going to join us. We're going to review the year in the old Oval Ball Code.
experts in agriculture, covering your equipment, parts and service needs to help you succeed in your field. This is Summer Days on SNZ with Ricardo Ball. Four past one here on SENZ, Summer Days with Ricardo Ball. Uh, make sure you uh, stay tuned and throughout uh, the show and, of course, throughout uh, the run home later as well. Uh, be You can be Caller of the Month on 0800 150 811 and uh, the Caller of the Month this month will win themselves a Charmate Colt 48 Smoker and Barbecue thanks to Abe Living. I know a man who would make the most of that come Summer Days and he is with the... With us on the phone now, Jeff Wilson. How you doing, mate? Now, how do I get become caller of the month? <laughs> well, you're on the phone now, so I, I think that kind of means that you're okay. I think you're in the you're, you're in the mix. I'll try and do my best work then. Yeah, you're all right, mate. All right, we'll we'll, we'll hold you to that. Um, 2022, Jeff. Well, you know when you when we look back at this in the history books, it's not going to be the greatest year in in, in New Zealand rugby history, but. Is it as bad as maybe we were thinking it was when we lost that Irish series? Well, what it has become is, is clearly a learning experience and, and on so many fronts. And if you think about it, you have to start with the black because you talk about you know, all this focus, all this attention that was on the All Blacks through the middle of the year and then with a little bit of time, a little bit of investment, a little bit of resource and support, all of a sudden that black are on top of the world again. And the reason I start there is because this is what New Zealand rugby has to look at now and go, where do the opportunities lie? And after a year which has been probably as um, unsettled as it's always been on a number of fronts, there was a wonderful story that came out of it. And it's what they learned from all of this that's happened this year, right, Ricardo? All of the issues that they've had, all the challenges that they've had, all the miscommunications that have gone on uh, across the board uh, as they go into a Rugby World Cup year. And... You know they have to they have to prepare for the future, and it appears as though at the moment uh, they're learning some pretty harsh lessons, but also some valuable lessons along the way. So it could be seen in a way, um, you know, you take you know you you balance the negatives with the positives. A, a year of learning for for NZR, particularly uh, the, the the people at the top end. Um, I guess it's just a, a wait and see if they have learned because we've, we've seen mistakes been repeated in the past. It's a, a just a, 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 a let's see what they do next. Well, you, you think about the incredible amount of growth that's happened with inside New Zealand since the recovery from COVID. So all of a sudden, they found a whole lot of new sponsorship, a whole lot of, whole lot of new resource support. But when it comes to performance on the field, for their number one side in the men's game, the All Blacks, it hasn't quite gone to plan. But in saying that, the world landscape across all of these teams has significantly changed. We've seen Eddie Jones has lost his job. We've seen Wayne Keeble has lost his job. Clearly, also in the middle of the year, it was under pressure because of a, um, a disappointing performance against Ireland. Then losing to Argentina, they made some really difficult calls after the Irish series, and we saw a bounce back. Some different coaches come in, some different players get a chance, and we saw, you know, if, if you looked at the All Black season, had they not had the final 10 minutes against England, you would have said it had been a really good recovery 
from a, a tough, tough year. But look, Super Rugby is still trying to find its feet. With Super Rugby Pacific, you've still got sides in that who are looking to, I suppose, establish themselves. Look, there's a lot of things that are really going on. And, you know, we've seen news in the last week in regards to the All Blacks' major sponsor, significant sponsor, is into the trouble off the field. How are they going to deal with that? It doesn't get much easier. No, it doesn't get easier. It doesn't get easier. We, we, we're not that far away, to be honest, from Super Rugby Pacific starting again, mate. Um, you know, that's the, the, the rugby calendar these days. What was your takeaway uh, or impression of, of, of the first season of that format? It was a great start because the Fiji and Drua and the Moana Pacific teams came in and were very competitive right from the very, very start. They had their moments where the conditioning of the tournament uh, took, took effect. All of a sudden, their lack of experience of playing back-to-back weeks against quality oppositions, they started to become inconsistent. But what they did show was the sign. Australia were more competitive and probably been in Super Rugby for a long, long time. But once again, it showed there's a clear gulf um, between the top New Zealand side and the rest of the competition. So that was the first year of it. Second year, you would like to think there's going to be some adjustments from teams. They would have recruited in the off-season. But the teams have come out. Most of them have got familiar looks about them. And the other thing we have to factor in is the decisions that New Zealand rugby make around the players they think are in contention for the All Blacks in the Rugby World Cup. I'd like to think that we're not going to see a compromised Super Rugby Pacific next year. Everyone's available. Everyone has to prove themselves. Everyone has to perform before they worry about selection for the national side. Yeah, 100%, 100% agree with you, mate. Uh, uh, getting uh, word, I don't know if this is news to you, probably not. You tend to be have your finger on the pulse, but it uh, uh, seems like uh, Scott Robertson is committed to, to next season because there was some talk about him being poached by England rugby. That has got to be uh, a, you know, good news for the Crusaders and for the competition as well. Uh, I guess it's just a matter of wait and see what it means maybe for that All Blacks job after the World Cup. Well, the, the, the interesting part about all of this is the decision-making of Ian Foster and what Fozzie decides he's going to do post-Rugby World Cup. And he probably has to decide that now. He has to talk to New Zealand Rugby about what his future lies, because, his future lies because, like you say, there's going to be a lot of quality rugby coaches who are looking post-Rugby World Cup next year. And look, I'm not surprised if England go in another direction um, because trying to make significant changes nine months out and, and Scott Robinson would have to do... He'd have to turn something on its head, and he's going to make significant changes wherever he goes, whether it's the All Blacks, whether it's England rugby, whether it was possibly in, in Wales, whatever happened. Of course, Warren Gatlin's there now, and don't, don't, don't discount the fact that he might be looking post-2023 at other countries as well. Um, so I'm not surprised by this. I think Razor's you know, um, waited his time now. He's bided his time, and I think Brazilian rugby will be having conversations about look, will we want to have these conversations in the next nine months about our future? And, and uh, they've already indicated that, you know, they'd, they'd like to get moving on this. And I don't think you can wait. Amy Joseph, Tony Brown, they could be in, in the picture as well. Yeah, 100%, mate. Uh, yeah, and it's a great point you make because that's what happened last time. You know, we, I think, got to the end of the uh, end of the last World Cup and went, OK, and the cupboard was reasonably bare. Everybody else was committed. Um, so they can't... Uh, I, I afford to make that mistake again. Um, do you? Th- how much do you think is to do with what Fozzie wants to do and how much is it to do with what NZR want to do? Because, you know, we've all heard the stories that after that first loss in South Africa, uh, Scott Robertson was told to get your team together. 
Yeah, look, and, and they were looking at performance. And, and the reality is, at the international level, incredibly difficult and challenging. And Ian Foster had a plan. Um, look, it was, it was an unusual series, the Irish series. I must admit, if you think about the second test uh, and the players you can have available in the third test, they just weren't able to go out and perform the way they would like to have performed. And, you know, I think he understood why the pressure was on because, you know, your expectations are to go out and win when you're 12 months away. People were asking questions. And but then he went out and delivered it. If you think about what he did do, he delivered the rugby championship. He delivered the Bledisloe Cup once again. And by that last 10 minutes against England, the Northern Hemisphere tour exposed new players and he got some strong performances out of the side. And and under duress against a good Scottish side, a good Scottish side in Edinburgh, that Northern Hemisphere tour was not a cakewalk. That was not an easy thing to go through. And look, uh, disappointingly for him, the last 10 minutes almost... I suppose reflected his season, defined his season, and now he's having to look at Super Rugby and go, you know, these guys have got to go out and prove themselves once again. I certainly believe that the challenge is still there for him, but I like in some ways what happened this season because the squad has faced some serious adversity. Uh, one of the things that you touched on earlier, um, Goldie, was you know the the women's team, uh, the Black Ferns, doing so well that World Cup. I mean, they went over and beyond my expectations, particularly after you know the Northern Tour that we'd seen last year and how much they'd actually been able to achieve in between times with Wayne Smith. They did great things, but I guess commercially is the other thing. Uh, you alluded to it. I think they managed to achieve things with that, those free to air games on on uh, TV three um, that they in terms of numbers and on terms of audience attracting female eyeballs to the game that they'd not been able to do with the All Blacks. So um, that was a win for NZR as well. Was that, do you think, the highlight of the rugby calendar for you for 2022? Yeah, in terms of the numbers, you know, I'd be interested in, in, in that because, like you say, free to wear is a, a certainly a completely different beast. But when the All Blacks were going through their toughest times, the numbers of people watching were remarkable. People were back up in the middle of the night wanting to see what happened in South Africa because they didn't want to wait. So the fact the All Blacks were losing, the interest, and if you think about the media attention and everything, it went through the roof. But there's no doubt the Black Ferns campaign, and it was a Rugby World Cup, and our own shores, that was one very, very affordable, was one incredibly entertaining. And it was a ride that we could go on, right? And look, I was in the Northern Hemisphere at the time, and... and we were on that ride over there, and it was a remarkable, remarkable performance. But my concern, and it, the concern I have is where the investment in that game goes and at what level it was. Because I'd like to think that it starts from the bottom up. You start investing in the bottom and grow the sport and, and don't get too top-heavy too quickly, you know. And if they do that right, it's got longevity. And, you know, uh, if, if you think about the Rugby World Cup in itself, France, England and... and New Zealand, the Black Ferns, were the three teams that were vying for it. And the Rugby World Cup in 2023 in France, you just don't know. There's probably seven or eight sides, if they get some momentum, could go on to win the tournament. So two vastly different tournaments, but I know New Zealand rugby now has to have a plan for both campaigns going forward and where the games go. Yeah, yeah, they do. 100% they do. Um, when you talk about investing from the bottom up, are you talking Farah Palmer? Are you talking below that? I kind of, in terms of making the, the Black Ferns stronger in the long term, uh, think that uh, Super Rugby Alpeki needs to be you know, longer, a longer season than it is. Yeah, and, and that's the challenge, right? There's so many layers and levels, and it's working out exactly how we establish. And, and 
having forty professionals or semi-professional players is fantastic. But in the end, does that create a bigger gulf to the ones at the layer below it, say Farah Palmer Cup? And the other side of it is, are they investing enough in the coaching? Are they invest enough in the recruitment at a lower level to keep players in the game? There are a lot of unions out there that don't have senior competitions. They just have a team in the FPC. It's a matter of finding a way to engage. It's a matter of whether or not that actually goes through sevens, not necessarily for things. It's getting the balance right. And to me, it's actually about the resource and support. It's about giving them the coaching expertise, the management and training expertise to actually advance everybody that wants to get involved in the game. To me, focusing on just the very, very top. Mm, yeah, it's uh, it's going to be interesting to see how that all develops. Um, Mark Robinson's come under uh, the microscope a lot. Uh, he's copped a lot of sticks. So have the board uh, around a, a bunch of things um, around the governance of the game. Uh, do you think he's the right man for the job long term? Well, if you're talking about someone who's been through adversity and would have learned a lot from this year, Mark would be that certain person. But I think reality is you've got to look across the whole organisation and all of a sudden, remembering the amount of significant investment I was talking about earlier on, mm. the management and understanding of delivering on that, to delivering to major sponsors or investing, you know, not just what, a million dollars, they're talking tens of millions or hundreds of millions. All of a sudden, New Zealand Rugby is having to learn in this space about how to service all of that by the same time remembering the one thing that's really important here is rugby's a sport. This is a sporting organisation. There's an element of business to it, clearly, which is really important and contracting players and keeping players in New Zealand and understanding the balancing the investment across the game. But I think that's where Mark Robinson and his board will look at this year and go, you know what, there's a number of areas, and I've admitted this, that they probably could have done a little bit better. They have to now to deliver that in, in the next year, and They've made changes on the board already. So across the across the organisation, I think 2023 is going to be a telling year for Mark and his team. Uh, and, and you know, I, I do wish them all the best. Mm. I do wish them a couple of weeks off in summer to yeah. take a breath, uh, to regroup, because it's been a really challenging and difficult year. But they have had, I was going to say, the Black Bulls have been and given them a light to look at and go, you know what, they should be incredibly proud of that what they, and what they achieved. Looking forward to 2023, Jeff. What are you most looking forward to, and what are your expectations? Oh, the Rugby World Cup is going to be something special. It really is. Um, when the number one team in the world, which is France right now, is going to go in heavily favoured at home and expected to perform an, a, 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 um, a country that's never won a Rugby World Cup, has been on the precipice. We felt it in 2011. If you look at the performances through this year, we've got something... And we've just experienced the Football World Cup that has had its surprises. And we're going to get that next year. We're going to have a tournament which, in a quarterfinal, you're going to have Ireland, you're going to have South Africa, you're going to have the Olympics, and you're going to have, what's the other one? France. It's going in. Ireland to France. The four teams in the quarterfinals. In two quarterfinals. It's going to be something special. So I'm looking forward to that. I think, you know, it's going to be a remarkable tournament hosted in a remarkable country. And, and then it's, it's really... Uh, where um, Super Rugby Pacific for me gets to and what they take it to and how they engage with their fans, how they bring an excitement back into that um, that tournament. I think those are the two things uh, I'm really, really looking forward to. Yeah. Uh, are, you, are you more or less confident now about the All Blacks' chances at the World Cup than you were, say, this time last year? 
that's a great question. What I have seen, and and I've 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 seen a significant shift in the All Blacks this year, and they've made some tough, tough decisions, and I've seen some young men coming in really thrive, and it's a, like a, a Fletcher Newell. It's like um, Tyrell Lomax, Simasoni uh, Tokiaho, but we've also seen guys rediscover form. We started to see the best out of Sam Whitelock again. Uh, Tony Taylor finished the season really strongly. Uh, I really like what Scott Barrett, Brody Metallic. Notice how I'm talking about the tight five? Mm. Isn't that ridiculous? <laughs> you know? That's what gives me greater confidence now. Because we saw our tight five, I believe, and go up against anybody and not just hold our own, but dominate from time to time. And to me, that gives me greater optimism for next season. Yeah, uh, you, you, you're hearing from a, uh, a former former fullback talking about tight five. Uh, we love to hear that. Hey, Jeff, thanks very much for, for coming on today, mate. Uh, enjoy your Christmas. Enjoy your time with your family, and uh, hopefully we can uh, we can we can talk some some Highlanders with you again next year, eh? Oh, look, I, I really do look forward to it. I'm at the Howard swimming pool right now. I've got the kids; they're swimming away. There's an outdoor pool. Is about. 12, 14 kids in the outdoor pool. There's about 30 or 40 in the indoor. Beautiful sunny day. That's what Christmas is all about, right? Mate, you're not, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. Enjoy it, mate. Slip, slop, slap. Have a great Christmas, eh? Cheers, Ricardo. Thank you. Cheers, mate. Uh, there we go. Jeff Wilson with us talking rugby, talking 2022 in perspective and his hopes for 2023 as well. Your thoughts on that? You can give us a call 0800 150 811. 0800 150 811. Of course, uh, SCNZ's Caller of the Month will win a Charmate Colt 48 Smoker and Barbecue thanks to Able Living. I don't know if Jeff made the cut. We'll, we'll have to see. We'll have to measure him up against a, a few others, but you could have a go. 0800 150 or you can keep your text rolling through as well. Double eight, double three. It is one twenty-six here on SENZ. Uh, summer days, Ricardo Ball with you through till two o'clock. After that, the run home are going to run uh, from uh, two o'clock through till six o'clock. And uh, I just had. Uh, I was just telling Sam about uh, my team is the Las Vegas Raiders, but we've been absolutely pooped this year, and we've given up so many games in the se- in the second half that uh, we were a seventeen three up against the Pats, and the Pats were paying three seventy five. So good on the Pats, go Pats! And they were up twenty four seventeen. The Raiders have just won it, shut it out thirty oh, to twenty four. That makes me very sad and upset. And in- interception, intercepted, uh, uh, interception with ten seconds to play. On Tommy Touchdowns is just throwing a good pass up to the 20 for Tampa. They are behind, though, by 17 after being up big. Yeah, they were up 17-3, and now it's 34-17. Yeah. Whoops. Um, um, but you had a punning story you wanted to tell me. Oh, well, I just – at the top of the show, we talked about redemption, one of the best redemption stories of all time, and I was going to regale you with my punting story. And I have uh, I did say this on here a, a week or so ago, so uh, you'll have to forgive us for uh, repeating it. But um, just before the Portugal-Morocco – uh, quarterfinal um, on the Friday night I tried to put $10 on my TRB, TRB account to, to put a punt on and um, it wouldn't let me do it it said like deposit error and so I kept trying and trying and trying and it just wouldn't go through eventually it went through um, 16 times so uh, <laughs> I had 160 bucks in my account and you're faced with a, with a decision there Ricardo do you attempt to get that money back or do you punt it and uh, me being the irrational, emotional person that I am, uh, threw it all on what I thought was the surest bet of the weekend, mm-hmm. Portugal to beat Morocco at $1.67. Yeah, how'd that go? Uh, well, I lost $160. And yep. then uh, I said to Brian, 
big power cut out in Cowcop overnight. Mm. Um, so we had no. I woke up with no power. Phones at fifteen percent because obviously mm. it drains overnight. Fifteen percent. Um, no water because you're all on pumps and stuff out in the country. So no running water, no Wi-Fi, no power, no nothing. So. I took the thirty dollars left in my bank account and yeah. went to a cafe to charge my phone. Spent twenty bucks buying my breakfast, and then um, had ten bucks left. And I thought, "That's going on my TB account." Put it on. I think it was Harry Kane to uh, get a shot in each half against France yeah. on target, and England to have two shots in each half total against France uh, at about twenty sixes. So made a cool two hundred and fifty. Then I took ten bucks out of that and thought. Five league NHL multi with all my NHL teams, mm-hmm. and uh, that was paying out a hundred bucks, and that came in. So uh, quickly, laughing. quickly went from one hundred and sixty down to three fifty up, Ricardo, Boom. and forget Messi, forget Mbappe. That to me is the comeback redemption story um, of the year. Sam is the goat. Is that what you're telling me? Oh, that's a title you're bestowing upon me. I'm not gonna. <laughs> those aren't my words, but. Uh, Oh, yeah, I'll put it on the trophy. Yeah, Mark is laughing at me, never back against your own team. Well said, Mark. But to be fair, I lost money on them, betting on them before when they were up. I can't remember who was it. Was it against the Chargers? They were up by about 13, uh-huh. and, they, and they bottled that and lost that too. Do, do Para fans have the same thing as Warriors fans? Like there's obviously a golden rule that you never bet on the Warriors, either to win or lose, mm. because either way they'll do the opposite. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, they talk about um, objective truths in the world. Yes. You know? Um, that is one of them, Ricardo. You yep, do well, not bet on the Warriors. Do not bet on the Warriors. Don't put them in. Yeah, you don't put – I find don't put them in to win or lose, basically. Don't back for them or against them, but you can do other things like try score a bit. Yeah, that, things yep, like that, that works. That yeah. works. I'm happy with that. Yeah, yeah that's what I do. Uh, it feels like I should say promotions and play in hundreds of sports markets to choose from. TAB.co.nz. Please gamble responsibly. R18, time for the latest in news and sport. When we come back, we're going to go around the world. It is 28 away from 2 o'clock uh, around the world. How does it work? Uh, Sam, you're about to uh, take take the reins. No, I've just um, some of the headlines that have been left off Johnny Mac's bulletin, Ooh, which okay. I find um, relevant, useful, important for everyone else listening out there. Ricardo, so I have done the hard yards, mm-hmm. perused the internet, and I've found all these stories that you need to know. Um, the first one starts takes us to Arizona, funnily enough, the great state of Arizona in uh, the US of A. And I'm going to ask you a question here, mm-hmm. and I want you to ask honestly. Yep. Okay, truth serum. Have you ever used a T2 lane illegally? Yes. Brian Ardity? Yes. Yep. Right answer. Have you ever, and, and I'm assuming illegally means you've driven on, on your own in a T2 lane? Yes. Yes. Have you ever tried to pass off an object in your car as a passenger? Yes. Right. No. What was the object? This is going to sound funny, so I should explain it. Is I, the story about you? I'm starting to wonder. <laughs> I used to work for another radio station. Yes. And uh, I was complaining in the office one day loudly about the traffic on Oniwa Road. Yep. And about the T two T and the T uh, two and the having the camera operators. So uh, they were like, "We're going to do an experiment." And so they got me a blow up doll. Oh, so yeah. I had a blow up doll dressed it's, uh, with a hat on and everything sitting in the uh, in the passenger seat. Did it work? No. They, really? They, they they pinged you. They pinged it straight away. They like the guy even sh- just looked. At, he dead eye <laughs> dead eyeballed me yeah. and just shook his head He's, like he, he was disappointed. He looked into the soul of that mannequin. <laughs> and yeah. uh, f- okay, so th- this may be you because uh, in Arizona. 
Kona, um, a lady has been pulled up for trying to get away for trying to get away with being in a T2 lane with a inflatable Grinch. <laughs> Which, I mean, that's Same slightly thing. more unrealistic than your uh, dressed-up mannequin doll. Um, the One of the headlines read a, a very uh, zoospicious-looking uh, driver and passenger. Um, of course, she didn't get away with it, pulled up by the cops and uh, had to pay the fine. And uh, the cops also urging all motorists to follow traffic laws correctly, please. Yeah. Um, this one, one of my faves today. Mm. And we stay in the United States and go to Kentucky, actually, where a woman has won $175,000 off some scratchies. Not just any ordinary scratchies, Ricardo. These are the product of a little uh, secret Santa at the office. Oh, wow. Even worse. Have you, have you heard of the game uh, White Elephant? No. It's the one where everyone gets gifts mm. and you start with one person, they open the gift, another person can steal it from them, the next person can either steal or get a new one and you oh, just keep yeah. going around until everyone's gone through and then the last person can obviously keep or take type thing. Now, um, this particular la- uh, lady, Lori Janes, um, she had picked up a TJ Maxx voucher for $25. No idea what TJ Maxx is. Sounds some sort of cosmetic, maybe? Maybe, yeah. Um, $25. But one of her colleagues stole it from her as per the rules of the game. She was actually very gutted that she she really wanted the voucher. So she thought, oh, screw it, I'll steal somebody else's then. So she stole another colleague's gift, which was $25 worth of lottery tickets. Outstanding. And she ended up with one hundred and seventy-five k. Now, how... Uh, obviously annoyed would you be as the colleague who had that removed from them You'd that's probably the annoyed. first question the second yeah. one is do you have any sort of claim to getting some of that money if you were the original recipient of the of the lottery tickets no or I don't rules think you rules. do rules, rules are rules, rules man you know what you're in for it's like there's actually a little bit of a rule if you buy scratchy tickets for someone as a present for their birthday or for Christmas, mm. are you entitled, if they win, say, a million bucks, are you entitled to some of that for buying the scratchy? No, that's, that's, that's not what gifting's about, right? <laughs> well, it's a million bucks, though, you know? Yeah. Throw me 10K or yeah. something. Just, well, yeah, I mean, but that's, know, that's, that's, that's me on the them. That's not an expectation you should no. have. Okay, yeah, no, well, that, that's what I was wondering. Yeah. Um, this one, a little bit more concerning. Uh, toxic heavy metals have been found in nearly 30 dark chocolate bars. And uh, I'm looking at this list here, and mm. luckily we don't have a lot of them here. So uh, an organisation, Consumer Reports, bunch of scientists, uh, tested chocolate bars uh, from Hershey's, Godiva, Green and Black's, Girardelli, Lindt, or Lindt, that's the one, Lindt, that's the one we've got, uh, Dove and Trader Joe's. Of the 28 bars tested, uh, cadmium and lead were detected in every single one of them and both of those substances are, are highly poisonous so um, everyone thought dark chocolate was healthier for you Ricardo yeah well I apparently always not. thought that I Appar- always thought that apparently not mm. and my last one and I love this sort of stuff when it comes out after a World Cup um, Jose Miguel Polanco mm-hmm. that name will mean absolutely nothing to you as it means nothing to me because yep. it's just a random person on Twitter but someone's unearthed a tweet from Jose Back on March 20th, 2015. You ready for this? Yes, I'm ready. December 18, 2022. 34-year-old Leo Messi will win the World Cup and become the greatest player of all time. Check back with me in seven years. Wow. Tweeted that in 2015. Wow. Going viral now. Very nearly correct, because Messi's 35. Is he? Yeah. Ah. <laughs> bad maths. Oh, bad maths. Bad maths. Oh. But what a great call, though. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, I love those um, sort of prediction ones. There was another one. Oh, was it about the NRL? There was one that was that done last year as well that went viral for um, predicting a winner. 
very very astute sporting pundits. If only they put their money where their mouth is, i.e. their TAB account. Yeah, 100%, mate, 100%. Because I guarantee you he didn't do that. No, no. But I mean, imagine if you had. Because you hear those stories about guys in the UK who, um, you know, they have a kid, and mm. so they go to the bookies, and they what will you give me, uh, odds-wise, for mm-hmm. my kid to represent England at some point? Wow, and, I know, didn't know. Do they actually do that? And the, the bookies will create a market for wow. you. Wow. And uh, I'm trying to remember whose dad it was. It was somebody that might have been Jordan. Beckham. No, it might have been. It was like Jordan Pickford, I think, maybe. Is he a dad? No, he's oh, his, his dad, dad. His dad put oh. five, a fiver on him to play for England one day, and I think it was at like 1,000 to 1. Oh, that's the smart. They gave that's him. smart tipping. That's yeah. smart tipping. What I actually thought about this last night. What If you could go out and create a book, mm. what, what would you ask them to make up for you? If you had to make up something sort of quirky and random, yeah, that's that's good. I, I'm always um, really interested around election times, particularly mm. US elections. Okay. They don't do it here, but they do it in the states. Yeah, yeah, those, like, those are the sort of books, or you know, the names of the next royal baby, that sort of stuff. That's yeah, that's a that's a very popular one over in the UK. Because um, um, when I was working for for another radio company before, what's his name, Prince George was was born. Yes, uh, the company had a station called George. And I said to them, you should get some stickers made that, like, you know, reflect that. I can't remember what the line was, but I had some line. And they were like, that's a great idea. And they did it. And then he got named George. And that was their marketing campaign for the next six months. That's great. Well, see, I was thinking of the Melbourne Derby and thinking, if you went to a bookie and said, what are the odds that a a game, that any given game is going to be abandoned Mm. for, you know, whatever? The odds would be remarkably high, right? You would think so. Hundreds of thousands, maybe? Yeah. To one? Potentially, to Potentially. For, for a game to be abandoned. Well, maybe 5,000 to 1, something like 5, that. 5,000 to 1. So why wouldn't you do that and then just go and put a dollar on like every single game from then on and surely at some stage it's going to hit? Yeah. I don't know. Is that bad economics? Maybe it, it is. It is probably I, bad economics because I, I think this is the first time it's happened in the A-League and you'd ha- you know, true, yeah. how many years has that been? So how many games 5,000 games. You'd have to go yeah. through 5,000 games just to break even. But yeah. the one I used to do was um, – there was a season in the NRL. I thought, screw it. What if I put ten bucks on the draw mm. on uh, the Warriors every single game going to Golden Point? The odds were twenty six to one. So as long as one game during the season goes to extra point, you'll you'll yeah. at least get your money back, right? Yeah. But if a couple went or if one went early, then you'd sort of cash and away you go. I lasted about three or four games before saying, "This is stupid. I'm not going to do this." And that was the year where I think they had three games in a row or four <laughs> games in a row go to go to extra time. <laughs> so. Yeah, uh, just uh, stick with your head, not your heart. Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. There you go, kids. There's a there's a there's a, uh, a good lesson for you. This is uh, the summer days show on SENZ with Ricardo Paul. When we come back, we'll have a look at what happened on this day. Brand are experts in agriculture, covering your equipment, parts, and service needs to help you succeed in your field. You're listening to Summer Days with Ricardo Ball on SENZ. It's 14 away from two here on Summer Days and uh, had a couple of texts come through on double eight double three the Temper Bed Post text machine. Rory McIlroy's father put a bet on that he would win the Open by 2014 when he was really young. He collected £100,000 when he won. That's not bad, is it? That's not bad. You'd take that. Uh, another one that's come through from Aaron. Hey, guys, Josh Hazelwood's dad put uh, 150K um, because he made a bet that he'd make the Aussie team at a young age. So there you go. There's been a few other um, circumstances, Sam, around that as well that we've seen, you know, from uh, people. I was talking about that story about Jordan Pickford's old man. But, uh, yeah, it's happened a few other times as well down this end. I wonder, I wonder at what age do you make that call, like, for um – 
Josh Hazelwood's dad, you obviously have to know that your kid's going to play cricket first yeah. before you make that call. Um, so, yeah, what age do you sort of look at it and go, oh, he's actually pretty good and he plays cricket? So, Or is he just like his dad was a massive cricket head and he was like, my son will play cricket? Yeah, I I guess. You're going to obviously get better odds before they start making rep teams and stuff, yeah, right? Like if yeah. your son's decent and he's making rep teams, then you'll, you're not going to get as juicier odds. But uh, big big questions. Yeah. Rory McIlroy's father, £100,000. Down the bookies, seven, seven days old. How much will you give me? How much will you give me? <laughs> yeah, still in the womb. Yeah. I want a 100K. <laughs> I'm just noticing as well that the sales crew are back out at the cafe. Again. Just really utilising um, Mark's shout. There, there's um, not going to be any left by the time we finish the show. No, and it's just funny that it's the sales team using up most of this tab when, uh, you know, it was very much a content um, a content uh, specified. I was, I was just waving at them. I saw that. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Special wave, special wave just for those guys. Hey, we should do uh, on this day, of course, it is December 19th. On this day back in 1953, Sam, it's a famous, famous day in Welsh history. Really? Yeah. Jones has it safe and sound, and over he goes. A perfect touchdown that gives Wales a solid lead in the last few minutes of the match. Rowlands takes the conversion. Two more points for Wales. There's no further score, so Wales have done it by 13 points to 8. But there's one more battle to be fought for the ball. John wins it, but hands it over to Scott, the All Blacks fullback. A sporting gesture to end a great day of sport. <laughs> oh, there you go. Iconic commentary as well. Oh, yeah, fantastic. I, fantastic. Love the, I love the good touchdown as well. Oh, mate, so good. Yeah. Good touchdown. Yeah. Good touchdown. So that is historic, though. Um, he, he sort of seemed quite uh, as if that was a regular day for Wales. Yeah. Just a regular outing beating the All Blacks. Maybe it was back then. Well, no, apparently that's only the third time ever. Oh, there you go. Yeah, and that yeah. was the last time. He wasn't very excited about it. No, they, they tended to be very stiff, stiff up a lip, True. didn't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. A few other on this days, um, Larry Bird, the great Larry Bird, Larry Legend, started his famous th- uh, free throw streak. You'll know about this, Sam. He went 71 games without missing a free throw in the NBA, and mental, it started right? this day in 1989. Mm. Absolutely mental. Uh, the great Sachin Tendulkar reached 50 test centuries on this day while batting at Centurion against the South Africans on this day in 2010. And famous birthdays, I don't get any more famous in cricket than this bloke, the man they call Punter. Especially if Ricky Ponting gets himself out, but this time he's just found the ropes with a magnificent wristy pull shot. Gets him to 251. While they just keep coming, milestone after milestone, 250. Good player to do it at the MCG. What a feeling for him. For this situation of the game, so much riding on it. Huge crowd, blue skies. What a moment for Ricky Ponting. 250 at the MCG. 250 at the MCG for Ricky Ponting. 48 today. Wow. Born this Coming up the half century. He's not far away. He'll be raising the bat in a couple of years. Yeah, at the MCG. The MCG, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah lovely wristy. Uh, just what you yeah. want. Just what you want. Uh, <laughs> Mark has texted through saying, I told the sales team no. Oh, uh, Mark, so. I tried my best, mate. I did try my best to warn them off, but uh, they're taking full advantage of it. Look at them. I, I tell you what, uh, there's a couple of blokes out there at the moment that would pack down quite happily in the front row. <laughs> as well, so it's not like they go light. It's not like no. they go light on the on the old. Uh, yeah. Mm. Uh, now uh, it is ten away from two, and that is just about us. But when we come back, Mark's 
Stafford is no longer with us. Well, I want to say no longer with us. He's on holiday at the moment. Uh, the run home team have gone to breakfast. So we have the man, uh, the man, the legend, Stephen McIver, in next.